back on the Poly Walnuts podcast, baby. That's totally true. Yeah. So I I want to show I want to get right into this mountaineering stuff because you oh, sure. sent me this video. We were talking about uh, your mountaineering stuff Mac- mm-hmm. and maximize this here, John. Do a little setup before we hit play. Okay. On this thing, because when you sent it to me, I was like, "Holy shit, this is way more than I thought you were doing." Yeah. So this is um, this is on Mount Rainier, and um, the the problem with um, over the last several years, this is back in 2018, but um, and it's substantially gotten warmer globally, so the crevasses have gotten bigger and wider, and it's much more dangerous to climb now than it's ever been. Um, and we can t- kind of talk about that this last trip that. Um, my buddy Zach and I did to the Alps, yeah. But um, in on Rainier, it's basically a training mountain for those that want to go climb Everest, um, because it's a lot of the same um, types of uh, of mountaineering that you're going to encounter. So this particular uh, ladder crossing is what they experience on the Kumbu Icefall in Everest, um, and so you kind of have to prep for that. This particular one it was especially scary because we were going pretty quickly to try to get to the summit um, before it warmed up too much because as it warms up, those ladders become less stable. Um, so the I had had a lot of mountain, mountaineering experience prior to this, so I think that the guys just kind of let me do my thing, and I didn't really know what I was doing on this ladder crossing. And so when you see in the video I clip into a rope, it's the wrong rope. It's the wrong one. So if I fell off the ladder, I was going into that crevasse. Oh, There's a safety rope that you clip into so that if you do fall off the ladder, it'll catch you. You'll fall, but you'll be suspended and they can try to bring you up. This particular one was not the safety line. Oh, so man. I clipped into the wrong one. And this thing was bouncing. So it bounces up and down as you go. And so it's windy. You're bouncing up and down. You're wearing crampons. So you have these, you know, those, those, um, they're like spikes in the bottom of your boot that you put on. Yeah. So it's extremely unstable. You're really just standing on on the two front ones and the two back ones in between the little, you know, the, the, rungs the ladder, the, ladder, the rungs yeah. of the ladder. That's right. So you have to position your foot very carefully before you pick your next foot up because if you're not stable on that one, you're going to go. And it's bouncing the entire time. So it's just, yeah. And you have nothing else to hold on to, really. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's what this one is, and I'm freezing. By the way, I'm just it's so miserably cold. Double click the center, John, so we're full screen, and then yeah, now hit play. Yeah. So this is me just trying to figure out what rope, (laughs) what rope to do, and I, you see me clip in. Yeah, I see you. You're like, which one is it? Yeah. Yeah, I clipped into the wrong one. Oh no. And so. You kind of go across, and this is a, this is a, it's a, if I fell, I was, that's it. I would not be talking to you today. So you're walking, a, why do they use ladders to get across these crevasses? Um, because there's really no other, they're, yeah, they're collapsible and they're easy to get. Um, you can see how deep that crevasse is. It's ridiculously deep. So, um, yeah, dude. it's, um, ladders are just easy to transport and they're lightweight. So you have to take them up the mountain if you have anything that's, heavier than that um what are you thinking when you're going across this thing you're not really you're just you're (laughs) you're really just trying to it's the amount of focus is in is incredible i mean you 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 would know being in being in a situation where it's kind of life or death 
you really just you're focused so dialed in on that moment yeah you, there's nothing else but like every single step yeah. and i think that that's why i like mountaineering or putting myself in positions like that because it really kind of takes you away from the distraction of everything else going on in life it really makes you focus on literally taking one step at a time yeah and that kind of hyper focus is it's almost relieving in a way because when you get back down the mountain you've really just spent quality time thinking nothing but that moment yeah it's really neat it's a really neat experience and i think that that's why i like it yeah, I want to. I really do want to do some diving into the neuroscience of that. Like, what is it happening in your brain? Because yeah. there's something so satisfying about being in this very focused environment with a specific group of people, and everybody is narrow focused on this one thing. Yeah, and we're all accomplishing this task. It's so rewarding, so satisfying. It really is, and yeah. I think that I don't think that we do enough of that in society. We're constantly distracted by our phone's going off or, you know, what we have to do next. There's very little, um, there's very little approach to just focusing on the moment. Yeah. What's important. And I mean, I, I fail at that all the time. So I have to put myself in these positions mm -hmm. in order for me to focus because it's hard for me to do in my daily life. So, you know, that's like, you know, shooting or something like that or something that requires like hyper concentration and focus. Yeah. I love doing stuff like that because it takes me away, pulls me away from all my other obligations or all my other distractions that I've got. So I think that that's important. I think that people need to find that, that thing that, that resonates with them to yeah. make them focus on just that moment because that's really living, living in that moment. You hear it all the time. People say it, it's kind of cliched, right? Yeah. But it, there is something true to that is like living in a moment, a particular moment. It's what you, those, those are the moments that you die with. And that's what I love to do. Dude, those are the moments you die with. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's true. Somebody, we're going to go back and write that down. Gotta, <laughs> those are the moments you die with. Yeah. Because I have another way of framing these things. Mm -hmm. uh, it's so, it's funny that how you, it's so similar. I have a way of saying it. Um, I say, this is how I know I am alive. Yeah. These moments. It's like doing this thing, being on the side of a cliff, being with the boys shooting guns, doing our stuff, um, whatever the thing, whatever the thing is that requires that narrow beam of focus. That's how I know I'm alive. Precisely. The, the notifications going off on my phone and the emails and the meetings and all the other BS and stuff. That is nothing, man. I mean, I, I understand that's what you got to do to get it done pay the bills, do your job, your career, your profession. But um, even in the job, sitting at the desk at the computer, it's one thing to get all these pings and dings, and it's like I can't get any work done. It's like the moment you put everything on do not disturb, I can get some work done. Right. I can pull up the data that I've been looking for. I can solve the problem that I've been trying to solve. It's like that uninterrupted time of to focus on your job, to focus on – it doesn't have to be outdoor stuff, but just anything where I can focus, that's – those are the the real deal. That's it's, the moment. It's so true. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, just getting a quiet place, I think is really important. And I have to remind myself to do that. This, I mean, oh gosh, the whole work from home thing kills me because I'm constantly distracted by like, oh, I should do that laundry or <laughs> yeah. I should pull that weed that's been bothering me when I go look out in the backyard. Yeah. It's just really annoying because I'm, it, and it's just this habit that I think that's, that I've, personally formed and I think a lot of people have especially since COVID is just like being in a place you constantly have to feel like you have to keep doing something and so 
that's what I'm doing all the time. I'm constantly doing something. So I have to like leave. I have to get out. I have to do something in order to kind of make me refocus on what I need to do. Because otherwise I get distracted all the time. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, you were talking about Zach and we'll pull up that picture. I think that's the next picture, but we'll pull that up in a second. Um, but I remember, God, it was five years ago now that we did that little land nav race. Oh yeah. With Zach, you and Evan. The orienteering race. Yeah. God, that was so much fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and I think about that and it's like, I knew you already, but it's, uh, I, because, um, we were introduced shortly before that. Yeah. So you were the only one I actually knew, uh, that I had met. And then I met the guy, the other guys, once we started training for the event and everything, but, um, it's going through those moments. I, I got to think about my words here, but I feel like I appreciate people more that I go through those kinds of things with than people that I just see at the office. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. I feel, I almost feel guilty for saying that like out loud. Right. But it's like, yeah, there's a person at the office or there's a person at the, the bar that I see it and we'll go have some drinks every now and then. But it's like, I didn't go through anything with you. Right. You know? So how do I, you become foxhole buddies. <laughs> yeah. How do I know who you are? Like, right. I don't, I don't, I don't feel this connection. I got, Abs- I got to feel like I almost died with you. Right. Right. <laughs> right. You do. Yeah. You know, put, putting yourself in extreme situations with someone else really does help solidify a friendship, but it also helps kind of weed people out too. I mean, you know, yeah. if, if big time, you know, I think that, um, sharing that camaraderie with someone is, is deeply important. You know, it's something that you, that, people you both enjoy or something like that or that you know people really want to push themselves to try to better themselves or to figure out how far they can push themselves i admire that yeah and i like being with people that want to do that so yeah one thing i liked um because when we did the campus shoot uh, a few weeks a few weeks ago now yeah uh, oh my gosh yeah it was <laughs> time went by fast but yeah. when we did that campus shoot a few weeks ago and i've shot with you a few times i like that you, when we shoot you're in it man Oh, heck yeah. You're in the pocket. Like, oh, yeah. You're not distracted. You're like, whatever drill we're doing, like you're you're focused. You're really, okay, I'm going to go do this. Okay. And then you execute the drill and mm-hmm. it's like, you're you're in it, man. And it's fun to watch you shoot because cool. there's people that just shoot like, yeah, we're going to go have fun and shoot and everything. And that's totally cool. No, no shame on that at all because a shooting day is always a good day. But seeing you, you're in this other world. You're in this other zone where you're like, I'm in this focus zone where like, I want to do this better than anyone else. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, yeah. It harkens back to what I was saying earlier that, um, I like putting myself in those hyper-focused moments and I take it very seriously. I mean, I don't want to mishandle a a weapon system that could potentially kill myself or someone else. So I really have to respect that stuff. And it's the same situation when you climb or where you do something, you know, race cars or anything else that requires that kind of focus, because you could make a mistake that, that could be fatal. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I think that, you know, there's something to be said about putting yourself in that situation, but also caring enough and be focused enough to make sure that you don't do that. And there's a sense of accomplishment in walking away from something like that, even if it's as simple as doing drills, shooting, yeah. right? Um, you know, it's that, that kind of adrenaline rush. It's not really, a, I'm not really an adrenaline junkie because I don't, I'm not a thrill seeker. But I like it's these moments of accomplishment of putting myself in a situation where I might not come home. 
and I've done that several times. My mom just kind of kind of gave up on me a while ago because <laughs> I would have her over and I would talk to her about like, well, here's the new password for my for my bank account just in case I don't come home. Right, right. Here's my <laughs> list of passwords. Here's my insurance policy and stuff like that. And she's, you know, now she just like glazes over it. She's like, okay, you know, I'm just because there's a chance that, you know, I get on a plane and I go and it's, you know, I have a round trip ticket, but it could be a one way. Sure. So. It's funny you mentioned that uh, because my mom has moms are the same right all around all around the world excuse me and uh my anytime i'm doing anything my mom's like make sure your living trust is up to date yeah and make sure i have a copy of it and make sure this or that and so i thought about that today i was sitting in a meeting at work and my mind's drifting because it's just a meeting right and uh (laughs) (laughs) sorry been been there done that sorry anyone from work listening (laughs) (laughs) you know the deal yep um but uh, I'm thinking like, yeah, I should do this whole thing where like she even has a list of my master password to stuff and even, yeah. even more than just a living trust because I'm thinking about because I had some um, those that have watched the podcast and you guys see the the, the memorial band for our, our friends that uh, were killed over in Ukraine. It's got me thinking about life. And one of the biggest pains in the ass was not the the things you would think it's the minute things about just the processing of oh how are we going to figure out his bank account like you said right. or how are we going to figure out where he his where's the deed to his house or whatever right it's all that stuff and i'm thinking like okay and i'm now i'm in my 40s and i'm now thinking about the importance of those things i did all this crazy shit in my 20s and 30s yeah. and never respected it and it's like there are people that will have to pick up the pieces if you if you do go out so you got to think about that you know it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do something you know stupid like mountaineering or you know doing something that that is you know risk taking you could just be driving down the road and be hit by a car and not make it home yeah. you know so i think it's important for everyone to have that when you know i was fortunate that when my dad passed away when i was younger um, I kind of was left as kind of the man of the house and the one that was kind of good taking over for finances in the, in the interim. And he was good enough to kind of pointed some of the stuff out to us before he, before he passed away, but it wasn't all there. And so there, it was just kind of in pieces. And so I really, it, it kind of taught me that the importance of having it all kind of organized enough, yeah. um, or in one central location where, um, you know, it was easy for people to call, you know, financial institutions or whatever like that, credit card companies to figure, to figure it out. Because in a moment like that, the last thing that a family wants is to think about that. I mean, they're not, you know, unless they hate you, but (laughs) hopefully that's not the case. Well, but you know, that's, that's, that's what I think it's important for everyone to have something in place like that. Yeah. I mean, make it easy on your family. Like, especially for guys like you and me, like if we're doing risky things, right part of that risk is understanding like your family is taking on part of that risk. Absolutely. Whether they like it or not. Right. And that's part of, like you said, your mom eventually has come, come to accept it. My mom too. Um, because I know for sure for me, I won't be happy unless I'm doing something like that. Right. I'm going to be miserable. Yeah. This is who I am. I have to do it. Mm-hmm. So let me make it as easy on, on them as, as possible. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in, in, there's there's certain things that uh, you can use online that kind of help you do all that stuff. It's kind of like 
something in a box where basically it kind of you can just do it and have a little outline of like medical directives and POAs and stuff like that. Oh, really? Um, it's really, really simple to do. And you can do it online. It's very inexpensive. Hmm. Um, and it kind of is kind of like a just a sheet that you fill in yourself. Yeah. But it has all the kind of like the legalese. So instead of going out and hiring an attorney that costs you thousands of dollars, you can do it for less than a couple hundred bucks online. And at least you have something. It might not be like the best thing that sure. when you go through like, probate or anything like that when someone passes away but at least you have something to show and i think that that's really important especially if you're a vegetable and you're still like kind of there yeah you know you need to have some sort of a medical poa that says pull the plug i don't want to be a vegetable in life or you know heck i don't know i mean if someone's quadriplegic and they don't want to live that lifestyle or something any number of things that you can outline within a medical poa but if you're in a coma your family doesn't understand how you know what you're thinking right because you never talked about it and it's a morbid thing for a lot of people to talk about so if you do it yourself then at least there's an outline for your family to follow when and if that does happen so what's the poa what is that a uh, power of attorney oh yeah okay got it <clears throat> yeah, yeah yeah i think i've got that labeled and everyone listening is like get back to the mountaineering like what the hell yeah no one <laughs> wants to hear about this but i mean we, we kind of went right. on a tangent but i think it's important yeah but. All yeah. right, we'll leave it at that because no yeah. one wants to hear about that. All okay. right, let's get back to some mountain stuff. <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to the fun stuff. Yeah. yeah. Pull, I see you and Zach here. So yeah. yeah. Do, double click that one. I think it should just open in the thing and yeah. do the little zoom on the bottom right there, John. The arrows. So. And then zoom in on it with the screen or whatever. There we go. I think this is on the top of Parrot Spitza in Monterosa. I think that's the name of the mountain. Okay. Um, super narrow, but it was beautiful. Um, You're above the clouds, man. What's the elevation? Yeah, that was only fifteen thousand feet, actually. Wow. Um, but it was it was spectacular. We weren't able to climb, so we were originally gone there to climb Mont Blanc, yeah. but um, it was so dangerous that um, no guide companies were taking their clients up because the rock fall was killing people. I mean, literally killing people. Because uh, the ice was melting? Yeah, so the permafrost has been melting in the Alps because of how hot it's been. And anyone who's traveled to Europe in the last two years can attest to this about how hot it's become. Wow. Um, I think in Portugal last year, it hit something like 120 or plus degrees, which is unheard of. It's an historical high. Wow. Um, and so they've got this massive heat wave and... This is before El Nino, so wait until that happens because I think it starts in September this year. Um, so what happens is that permafrost starts to melt, and that permafrost has been there for millennia, thousands sure. and thousands of years, tens of thousands of years. And as it starts to recede, that rock gets exposed, and the more the permafrost recedes, that rock just starts to crumble away, and it falls down these rock faces, and it will take you out. When we were... Um, there is, there's another mountain that's the highest in, in Italy just to train for uh, Monte Rosa. We climbed that one, and there was a boulder the size of your house that was there on the way down that wasn't there in the morning. And it was over the path that we were taking. So, I mean, it was just, you'd hear rockfall, just it was constant. And it was very, 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 very dangerous. I mean, every time I've never been to a mountain where at least one person has not died while I've been there. I've never, I, and I've climbed 10 mountains. There has been, there's never been a time where someone has not died, which is a s scary. It's an extremely dangerous sport. Wow. I didn't know that it was that frequent. Yeah. It was at one point, 
mountaineering was considered the world's most dangerous sport. Yeah. Um, because of the frequency of death. The amount of people that attempt and the people that die is a very high percentage. But when you frame it like that, when you say that I'm on this one specific trip, how how long are you in, uh, I, I say in country because it's like a deployment sure. mindset, but how, like how, off, how long are you in the zone of the mountain for acclimatization and hiking it and before you leave on the airplane? It depends on the, on the climb. So for instance, in Nepal, when I was there, I was there for a, a little over a month. Um, in the Alps, I think we were there for about a week. Okay. So it just depends. But Nepal was extreme. I mean, that's 20,000 foot plus mountains that we were climbing. So, so you're in a place for a week and within a week someone dies. Yeah. Climbing that mountain. Several people died. And then really? I was hearing, yeah. So, in fact, one of them was a professional uh, mountaineer, and she was climbing with her partner, and she took a wrong step because the rock fall or the the rock that she was stepping on became loose when it normally wasn't, gave way, and she took her and her partner down the mountain, Man. and they both they both perished. Yeah, I mean, it's just that easy, and that's what I was saying before. Every you have to focus on every single step. I mean, when you go. You know, think about that next time that anyone goes running or literally just walking down the sidewalk. I mean, think about taking every single step and it's you you can understand what it's like to climb a mountain because yeah. that you have to focus on every single step. I can't say that enough. It's yeah. really amazing. Yeah. It's exhausting mentally. For sure. Yeah. Because you have to be keyed up the entire time. There's no relaxation. That's right. Is this because of climate change or this is just because of the nature of the beast i you know without getting too political it, it definitely is climate change um for sure the the globe has the earth has warmed considerably sure um well that's not political so, i mean we, we we have science to back that up so. that's true yeah. yeah well for anyone else but yeah scientifically it really is and we're in a period of of warming and it's you know like i said we've been in la nina which is a cooler part mm -hmm. now we're going to el nino where the oceans start to warm up Sure. And so storms are going to get worse. We're going to continue to see glaciers recede, permafrost start to recede. This is just the beginning of what could possibly be very, very dangerous climbing conditions. So I'm going to be, have to be very, very careful. We've got a climb scheduled for July in, in Mount Shasta, um, which is a beautiful mountain. It's the first one I ever climbed. But, um, you know, even there, they've noticed that there's been significant rockfall. Um, wow. It got dumped on this year, so I think that there's been enough freezing, so it should be safe this time. But I know that last year they were getting reports of, of some pretty serious rockfall. Um, so it's just it's just really dangerous all around the world. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Uh, not the death or anything, but just the... Um, yeah. I mean, I love climbing, so this is... Yeah, man. That's why it's awesome to me to hear yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, alpine style is is, is just fun. I mean, I've, I've done, um, you know, rock climbing, like what you do. Um, it, it never really, I never really got into it. I like, I enjoyed it and I've done ice climbing, which is really kind of, kind of same, uh, in terms of like a vertical wall yeah. that you're climbing. I loved it. I loved ice climbing. That was freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, I think it's that, a, that, that is kind of an adrenaline rush big time. Um, this is just this long slog and it's so physically demanding. Sure. I mean, it's just, you're on a mountain for 12 hours plus. Yeah. Just and it's all you're doing is carrying a pack up and and yourself and trying to not die. 
for 12 hours. <laughs> let's let's cruise through some other stuff. We'll sure. stay on topic about the Alpine stuff, but hit the let's see if we can see what the next picture. We'll get it. You want to do some videos or oh, pictures? Oh, this is cool. So, did you ever see the the um maximize that there, John? The, did you ever see the the documentary 14 Peaks? It's on Netflix. I'm pretty sure that I have Re- so refresh me on that. This guy um Mesner was the guy that climbed all 14 of the highest peaks in the world, but it took him like seven years to do it. Yeah. This guy who's a Sherpa in Nepal. His name is Nimsdai Sherpa. He did it in seven months. What? <laughs> the dude is the goat of mountaineering, literally and figuratively. I mean, the guy is amazing. All right. So I want you, I want to invite you to comment on this because there's this thing where like, I'm just going to come out and say it. Look, there's this thing where like the white climbers are tracking the accomplishments and those are the ones that are known and we don't know what the Sherpas are doing. And those are the most badass dudes out there because they're they climbing Everest how many times a year. Yeah. And one guy comes out and climbs Everest once and he goes on Ted talks and stuff. And it's like, dude, there's dudes doing that multiple times a year. Yeah. So anyway, I wanted to have you maybe talk about the Sherpas for a minute. Yeah, this guy and this guy in particular is really amazing. You you you'd uh respect this. He was um actually a Gurkha and SAS. Um which is pretty he's pretty badass actually. This guy was? Yeah. Really? Yeah. He's what's his background? Is he he's not British, is he? No, he's okay. Nepalese. Okay. Um and so he served for the Gurkhas and then applied to and made the cut for SAS. Wow. Which is I mean, it's just a, what's this dude's name again? Nims die. So he goes by Nims. Nims, Nims so it's funny. Okay. So we were, we're, you know, obviously being a mountaineer, he's like the Tom Brady for us. Right. And yeah. so we're, we're walking up this path and we just, we'd just been talking about him, like, yeah. you know, and talking about the documentary with some other climbers. So it was neat. Zach and I were the only Americans actually in, in our entire group. They were all mostly British and, and your other Europeans. And, uh, so we're talking about it, and as we're walking up this path, we see this guy just like literally just like jump, you know, bumbling down this this path, and in tennis shoes. I'm, I'm I kid you not, he's in tennis shoes. I no, mean, the guy is no that Sportiva. No, no. I, I mean, I'll, I'm all geared out, and I'm just like, oh yeah, you know, just like all the safety gear, and we're all roped in. This guy's just like literally running down the mountain in tennis shoes. Nice. That's how good he is. And I'm like, I yelled out. I was like nims and he like he stops and he turns around and hangs out with us for a while and it's really neat because we got to talk about his charity that he has in nepal where he's cleaning up a lot of the mountains so he goes and he cleans up all the trash that you know it it happens by accident sometimes a a wrapper will fall out of your pocket and then there's times where people just don't give a shit and they'll just dump stuff and it's disgusting it's sad i've seen it Leave no trace, man. Uh, yeah, I I pick up trash. I come down the mountain with stuff in my pockets, yeah. typically, um, just because I want to do my part. But it's really neat that he's got, um, you know, a, a, a kind of a fund, a nonprofit that does this. Um, especially when you're on Everest, a lot of those oxygen tanks will be left in the death zone, which is above 25,000 feet, because you, you really can't spend much time, nor do you want to take down that gear. Yeah. So it's just littered with oxygen tanks wow really at, at above twenty five thousand feet do you know the name of the, the organization <clears throat> offhand no but i know that he's got a website um it could be just the nims die foundation or something like see, that john but, off camera just see if you can find the the thing of the nims die foundation 
oxygen tanks on the mountain, something like that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so like I contributed to it and we talked for a little bit. He's a really cool dude. I mean, it's just really neat. I mean, the guy is just, I mean, he's famous, especially in the mountaineering community. I mean, everyone knows him, but, um, so it was kind of neat to spend some time with him and just cool dude. I love that. And, uh, he was there and it was, uh, we were in this lodge that literally just hangs on the side of the mountain and you get stuff flown in by helicopter. And so that's how you get it all in. And so he just like, he was there and we just saw him like pile into a helicopter and take off. He's sponsored by Red Bull. So he goes around, around the world, just doing all this really cool stuff for Red Bull. It's oh, really neat. sweet. Okay. Yeah. I saw the hat. Yeah. So yeah, I thought, yeah. okay, he's so, probably got a sponsorship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's really neat. His Instagram is fantastic. So, um, is this it? Yeah. That's his website. He's got, he's got stuff. This um, is it. Well, let's, yeah, put, that's it. let's put this on up. for people. Yeah. Big, so big mountain cleanup. Go ahead. I'll let you talk about yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, it's it's just a really neat um it's a really neat thing. I think that, you know, in nature, especially in and when you go out, the last thing you want to do is you want to experience nature and not people's trash. So it's it's yeah. just really kind of neat. And you know, I encourage everyone, like we if you just take you know, walk down the trail and you see a piece, just put it in your pocket, you know, and just do your part, your little part of cleaning it up. It's just it makes it more pristine and we gotta keep it for the next generation, you know. I'm not going to be doing this for very much longer. <laughs> it's really dangerous. It's always a young man's game, right? It is always a younger man's game. Oh gosh, I'm I'm fighting back pain, hip pain, knees. I mean, I'm just totally ruined from climbing and yeah. other sports injuries. So you know, I have to. It's managing pain at this point in my life, as well as training. So yeah, where do you? When did you start mountain climbing? 2011. So I've been doing it for about 12 years. Okay, 11, 12 years. Um, so, so I've been out it for a while. A mountain per year, p- pretty much. Roughly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that's about right. Cause it takes a while to go. Let's go through the process. So you're going to plan an expedition. You're doing Mount Shasta. Like when did you first identify that as the project? We started talking about it last year. Yeah. Um, and I encourage you to join us if you want. Uh, it's a really fun climb. The, um, you did, you did mention it to me. Yeah. And I had, I may have a European, uh, exped- uh, expedition, expedition of your expedition own. of my own. Got it. So, That's right. Well, yeah, we'll see. So in terms of, in terms of training, it's kind of like what you do. I mean, it takes time and months to not only prep, but also to, um, you know, gear and logistics, but also, um, you know, physically. So there's only so many climbs that you can do per guide per year on the mountain. And then you have to get permitted by, you know, so there's only so many guide companies too. So there's really only very few spots um, if you want to do it. So in Mont Blanc, boy, I had to, it was my second time attempt to go to Mont Blanc. The first one, I was ready to go and COVID happened three months later. I was just like, oh my gosh. And I'd been, pre- I'd been prepping <laughs> for over a year. I was shredded. I was like, yeah, let's do this. And then COVID happened and I was just like, the yeah. whole world shut down. And so I'm like, well, there goes Mont Blanc. So then I did it again. And of course, global warming shut that down so you know it's kind of my it's kind of my unicorn but you know those those type of mountains take a long time to prep for um there's you know certain regimen that you go through in order to start training physically yeah for something like uh mount shasta which is only a it's really a 14er it's alpine style so you still have crampons you're roped in ice axe the whole the whole nine yards but that that not that's not necessarily a technical mountain so if it's technical you really want to train um uh or if there's significant weather patterns that are that are typical for that mountain um you know you might have to push the pace harder 
just to summit and come back down within a certain window mm-hmm. of, of weather pattern, which is what happened on Rainier, actually. It was really, really dangerous. Actually, out of the 22 climbers, there's only two people that actually summited. It was me and this other guy from Sweden. Really? Um, yeah. So there's the true, the true summit is called Columbia Crest. And you have to go across... It's all filled in now because it's a it was a volcano, so the the pit is all filled in with ice and snow, and you have to walk across that and then go up to where the tallest part of the mountain is, which is another two hundred feet, mm. um, and that's considered the true summit. And the only two people that wanted to do it was me because it was stupid, and this this Swede, <laughs> and he was like, well, "Let's do this." What was stupid about it? Because <laughs> I was exhausted. Oh I mean, yeah. What's stupid is that where the when co- mountaineering, you're only halfway when you get to the top, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of accidents happen on the mountain because people give too much of themselves to get to the top and they don't have enough to get down. And that's when you misstep or you make a critical error in judgment and that's what kills you or kills your partners Yeah, Um, because you're all roped in. One of you goes down, you're taking other people down with you and you're just hoping that someone puts their ice axe in fast enough to stop you all from sliding down the mountain. Um, So I think that uh, because the majority of deaths happen on the mountain on the way down, not on the way up. Of course. And so, yeah, yeah it was kind of stupid of me because I was exhausted already, but decided to push it a little bit farther. I mean, it's fine. I mean, all's well that ends well, but, you know, um, that was, I don't know. It's kind of something that I probably shouldn't have done maybe, but I don't know. No, you did it, man. Yeah. Um, the thing I, I think about people is like mentally, well, here's the thing. Physically, you've got way more in the tank than you realize. Yeah. Mentally, your brain is screaming, stop, 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 stop. And there's a point where you have to tell the brain, shut the fuck up. You're right. I'm doing this. We are doing this. Like, what are you, a little baby? What, yeah. Just like, you have to parent yourself and you have to say, look, man, I've got gas in the tank. The thing that's shutting me down is you. Right. And you have the conversa- inner conversation with yourself. And so... Whether you're doing an infill on a you know little night mission or something, or you're climbing a mountain or whatever the thing is, it's like I'm committed to doing this. Yes, and that's it, man. There's no, I'm not going back. Um, you're so right on that. I think that yeah. the it, it takes just as much training of your mind as it is your body yeah. in order to overcome all that because it really is. I mean, my body will shut down at one point and it did when we were in the Alps. I think our, our climb on Grand Paradiso, which is that mountain in, in Italy that I was telling you about, it's uh, the highest one. Did you have pictures of that? I don't know if I and do or not. Um, I can always send them to you. You can edit it in if you want for something like that. But No, I'm just looking at... Look, open up that if... folder, John. Let's just have Dean take a look. Is oh, there any... wait. Yeah, there's the summit approach of Grand Paradiso on the bottom. Oh, the ladder crossing. Yeah, there's actually a lot. Which okay. one do you want? Just, um, just to give the viewers a, a frame of reference. To see. I don't know how long these videos are that I sent to you, but you can just click <laughs> on any one of them if they work. Yeah, double click them. I'm not really. Yeah. So double click that, John, just so it's full screen. So um, we had to do this climb. So let's see. It typically takes something like. L- lower that just a little bit. Just it, it's at least loud in the room. Okay. Yeah. So I think that they had to. I think it takes 12 or 13 hours to climb this mountain. Um, and given the extreme heat, what happens is that you cross, you cross this crevasse field. It looks cold as fuck right now. Oh, it is. It was frigid. So we started at midnight. Well, you're talking about heat. So, oh, it warms up really fast. I mean, you're drenched by about 1 PM. Oh, really? Oh yeah. 
it warms up very quickly. I mean, it's still cold. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you're still, you know, it's still around freezing, but it warms up to, you know, 40. And then that's when the crevasses start to really open up wow. and then you get trapped. So you can't cross the crevasse field. And we almost did. We had to do this climb, which typically takes 12 to 13 hours. We did it in seven. So we were hauling ass. We had two breaks and it was lit. We didn't, couldn't even sit down. It was to drink water. And if you had something in your pocket, you could eat it. If you didn't, you're not taking your pack off. Tough oh, luck. Geez, so five we were, hours off a of climb. Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> I cannot tell you how fast we were going. I've never experienced anything. So we were, so I was telling you about some of the British people that were on our trip. They were all professional, like Ironmen. Like, and they even were saying, I would rather do three Ironmen than do that climb again. That was wow. just brutal. And a lot of them failed. They didn't finish. Some, a lot, some of them didn't, didn't make it to the top. Um, this is you just, on, on the camera, right? That's right. Okay. So yep. we're watching you go up the ladder. That's right. For those, for those that are just listening, Dean is uh, going up this ladder and he's spanned across the ladder between this giant crevasse. And if he falls off this ladder, he's going for a mega ride. Like, oh, that's not going to be fun. What is it, like yeah. 100 feet below you or something? Yeah, at least. Fortunately, I had clipped into the right one this time. Yeah. <laughs> right. <exactly. laughs> it's still, still nerve-wracking. I mean, you know, you just you, you fall. I mean, and, and those paths are as narrow and as steep as it looks. Um, so, I mean, you really... Yeah, the lens is not contributing to the to the narrowness yeah i mean it's it's pretty brutal um but it's great man yeah so i mean you know that at that point so going back to the mental fortitude i was i was still 500 feet from the summit at least and i was spent zach who is an ultra marathoner um was done i mean he was toast i mean we had to coach each other i mean we could hear each other it was just really bad i mean we were physically like nauseated we started getting tunnel vision I mean, it was really bad. We, th at that point, it's all mental. There's nothing else but being mental. Yeah. Um, and this is this is a particularly dangerous one. We, the um, the girl that was in front of us, um, she was Danish. Um, she was an ultra marathoner. She was extreme sports, something like that. But this is really her first mountain that she's ever climbed. And she said afterwards that on the plane ride back, she's like she just broke down in tears. I mean, it's just physically and just emotionally and mentally just wiped out. Wow. It was really tough. So, um, you know, it's those kind of, but I live for it. I mean, I love that stuff Yeah, and I don't know why <laughs> just masochistic in a way, but I really, I really find a lot of, um, a lot of pleasure in just kind of pushing myself mentally, knowing that I can is, um, a feeling of accomplishment that I can't get really anywhere else. Yeah. So. I, I love hearing that you can't explain it. Um, yeah. I, and, and because I, I've struggled with that myself. It's like my family, friends, they can't explain like why I went to Ukraine or why I wanted to go do some of the mountain stuff I've done or half of the shit that I do. Right. It's like, I I don't know. I just know that I need, I need it. You know, it's interesting. I think, I don't know if it was in 14 Peaks, but Reinhold Mesner, who was the guy that, that climbed the 14 Peaks before, he mentioned something about how uh, when he talks to other mountaineers, and if they can give him a straight answer as to why they do it, they're not considered a mountaineer. Really? So he says that it's the person who's like, I don't know how to explain it. It's the person that he knows. It's like a, a true mountaineer. Now, I've been saying it for years. This is long before I saw the documentary, and I'm not repeating yeah, what sure. he said. But 
it's it is that kind of feeling like it's really unexplainable as to why you do it it's just this feeling it's like a i don't know it's ingrained in you um and something that i think that that no one can really understand until they do it um i'll give you a story i mean when we were so zach got into mountaineering because i took him up mount hood with a couple of other a couple of other friends and for a long time he never really wanted to join me on any of these trips i'd invited him but he said no um wasn't his thing Sure. So finally he was like, all right, I'll do it. And I was like, trust me, man, when you stand on top of the mountain, you will understand. And when we stood on top of Mount Hood, we made eye contact and he just nodded his head, didn't say a word. And that was it. He knew exactly what it meant. And so for me, that was a kind of a, a you know, <laughs> a prideful father in a way sure, moment. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, good. You, you, you now you get it. And I think that, um, you know, it made me really proud um, that someone decided to go outside their comfort zone or do something that they didn't necessarily want to do, and then realized the glory and the accomplishment of doing that. And now he's now he's hooked. Sure, um, he'll probably do this longer than I am. Um, and I and I'm proud of him for doing that. I think I'm proud of anyone who who decides to step out of their comfort zone and do something like that. And it doesn't have to be dangerous. Just doing something that's different. I mean, eating something that you don't necessarily want to eat. You don't like sushi. Try it. You might like it. You sure. know. Um, I, and I appreciate people that, that, that do that kind of thing. And I, I try to do that as much as I can as well. Yeah. I'm, re- I'm trying to instill that in my daughter um, because kids just want to do what they want to do, right? They just want to yeah. do the, what they know and that's it. And it's, it's, um, it's a flexing thing. You're trying to work muscles, mental muscles in them that they don't know that they have. And part of that is just the exploration of the world and just explore different things try the sushi try this country try this whatever try this thing you've never seen before and i think exploring life is so vital so necessary and like zach's experience um of just being on that summit him nodding at you like i relate to that Mm -hmm. um because you you know my background is like is technical climbing is doing vertical right. faces. You get everyone watching, you'll see the gear in the background. I just because we're talking about mountaineering, right, I wanted right, to throw right. some yeah, good <laughs> some climbing gear here uh, just for fun. Um, but it's like um, at the beginning, it's just like doing single pitch stuff, like sixty hundred feet. At some point, that rope is spent. And then you come back down, that's a single pitch, you know, and you're working on like maximum effort, maximum difficulty in that length of, of rope. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then you start doing multi-pitch where, okay, now I'm going to get to the top of pitch number one, bring my partner up, and then we're going to go to pitch number two and start doing multi-pitch stuff. And then, so that becomes a different level of technique. Um, and then you start working on the gear and you start doing all that stuff. And it's like, there's this satisfaction of just knowing like, I'm accomplishing a thing I couldn't accomplish before. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I I, I don't want to say that it's a gender thing. I just know for me as a man, it's necessary. For me not to have that, I would be the, half the person I am. Yeah, I have to know what it is to be stretched to my absolute limits. I got to know what the red line is. And then I got to see if I can push past that red line. Yeah. I have to have it. Yep. I do the same thing. Otherwise, I'll go crazy. I don't. Yeah. I don't know why, but I need it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't know why either. And I'm sure that any psychologist would love to del- dive into that with me. But you know, and it could be just you know growing up and you know having God. I don't know. I'm, my 
21st birthday, I went to like two or three funerals for family, you know, I was drinking for the, all the wrong reasons kind of thing. And I could say it was just, you know, being around and especially you, I mean, just seeing life and death that firsthand kind of like that, I guess it just makes me really appreciate life so much more that I want to push myself in very dangerous situations, which doesn't make a lot of sense. It seems very illogical, Yeah, but I think that that's part of my understanding and how I cope with that I think is me wanting to make sure that I'm living, you know, for those that aren't. God, that's so good, man. That's absolutely it. Um, you know, my, my mom was diagnosed with cancer in 2018 and, um, and so I'm in Vegas, Las Vegas, where she lived at the time. And I'm like handling all that. It's like, I'm in family mode, right? Yeah. Like full blown disconnect from everything else. So I can take care of this emergency basically. And, um, so bought a house, used my VA loan, bought a house in Vegas. And that's now my residence, even though I'm traveling for work, but that's where she can live and have the house and she's doing her treatments and all that stuff. The cool thing is that the house was, for those that know Las Vegas, you have Red Rock where there's all the technical climbing, tons of hiking. It's beautiful. Beautiful, but yeah. a lot of awesome sandstone for, for people that love sandstone climbing like this is the mecca man i mean it's the place to do sandstone climbing well i'm talking john pull up red rock in vegas uh some you know the narrows sandstone. are too and like in the narrows there at the park what's the national uh, national park uh it's right i don't know if it's called the is it called the narrows um it's that that cool canyon the second row kind of the stuff. second picture just pull that up and, yeah, and put that beautiful. max zoom in on that and uh, just go go back to the Google Pictures one and just zoom in on the screen. Yeah, see, I think that that's... And share that one. So this is, I don't know which canyon or whatever this is because there's a lot of rock there. Oh, man, we lost it. <laughs> I think the Pacific North, or Pacific Northwest, the Southwest is probably one of the most beautiful parts of our country. Try to, uh, yeah, it's, I love the red rock stuff there. There we go. Yeah. Okay, so... I mean, in there, there's just hundreds of routes all tucked away and around the backside and everything, and it's a beautiful spot. So the house I bought was between Red Rock and then uh, Mount Charleston. Oh, wow. Which has granite climbing and tons of hiking and a bunch of, you know, quasi... Uh, uh, alpinism is not the right word, but anyway, the um, more like hiking, climbing kind of yeah, stuff, right? Yeah, okay. peaks and stuff. Sure. So, House is between there. And so while, while, you know, she's resting and stuff like that and doing her treatments, I'm close to all this rock. And I'm like, jackpot. And so, like you said, while I'm facing death, I'm facing life, I'm facing the consequences of all this stuff, what do I do? I hit up, uh, for those that know tech, do you know about Mountain Project? Mm-mm. Okay, so Mount, Mountain Project is mainly for like technical climbing. So okay. if you want to meet up with people or there's routes you want to find or whatever, it's all over the world. So I can find routes in Cuba. I can find routes in Mexico, the U.S., wherever I want to go climb. I can find technic, uh, technical climbing. There's also a partner finder. So That's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. So I hit up, and it's much easier than what you're doing because you have to plan expeditions and all this stuff. And you right. gotta you got to know, but um, for technical climbing... You can mostly just meet up with brand new people because they have their profile on there and you see what they've climbed. Yeah. So you can see, oh, this dude's climbed 
a hundred of this route, 200 of this route. And so it's his profile basically yeah. of like what his strengths are. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I know that as long he spent the time to curate and build this profile of what his climbs are, he's not bullshitting, you know, right. he, he, I know he can do it. Right. So it's like, um, so I, I was looking for a partner to just go do something just to get out and touch some rock. This one dude was, um, there's a, a thing in like, you know, this in mountaineering, there's a thing where people wanted to do the first ascent of something. Sure. Oh yeah. So, uh, I found this post for partner finder. This dude wanted to do a first ascent of this one, um, peak. And so if you look on mountain project, East Pincushion peak outside of Vegas, uh, the n- South face or the North face, I don't remember the map on Vegas, but one of those faces had never been ascended. The backside of it had been hiked by a ton of people, and there is a summit with the box where people sign the oh, thing, sure. yeah, or, yeah, you know yeah, that yeah. deal. Yeah, right? yeah. Everyone knows. Yeah, about we have it. we have them on certain on. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So you sign yeah. the ledger and you put something in the box or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. That's the the deal. No one had ever ascended the the face that he wanted to do. So we did this. I I call it desert alpine because I I don't know what else to call it, but it's like this terrible approach through this desert flat desert thing to get there. There's no easy way to get to this thing. You gotta you gotta haul all the way in. So we walk all the way in, and wow. then we this long ass hike approach to get to the faces, and then we get to the faces, and then there's technical climbing. So we climb a few pitches of technical climbing, putting in trad gear, uh, traditional climbing gear like cams and nuts and stuff in yeah. the rock. So we get to the top of that, and then it's like a hike, and then there's some more technical climbing, and it was one of those things where it was like. Any second now, we're going to see the summit thing. And it, we would we do a couple pitches and then hike and come over this thing. And there's more shit. And you're like, dude, this oh, thing is never no, going like to fall end. summits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. is that what it's called? The fall summit? Yeah. I mean, well, Mount Shasta has one. It's brutal because you think you've reached the top and oh, then God. it's not. And there's a lot more to go. And you're just, you're, it's so defeating. Yeah. yeah. So I know what that, yeah, I know what that feels like. So I wish I had the pre- the picture prepped for today. It, it'd take too long to, for John to dig up, but um, we finally get to the top, and it's one of those things where the clouds are below you, and it was so weird because we're in Vegas, Las Vegas. You don't think the elevation on stuff is that high, but I mean we're above the clouds in this yeah. thing, and uh, we did a first ascent of this peak. That's awesome! Like, Congratulations, so, that's yeah, really cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, it, it's nothing like as high as what you're doing, but. Um, just incorporating the technical climbing, it was like a absolutely. It was a fun. It was a really fun experience it's to do. A really good accomplishment. Oh hell yeah! But hats all, off. All of that to say, thank you. But all of that to say is like in the midst of me going through this struggle with facing the potential death of my mother, I'm going out to like go potentially go kill myself. Right. <laughs> no, I get it. I totally get it. What's, that's right. Yeah. Does that make sense? To it anyone? totally makes sense. I mean, I think that that's 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 exactly. That's exactly right. I mean, and, and it takes your mind off things. I think it kind of resets you a little bit as to like, yeah. I, I mean, that's why I encourage people to go do do some stuff. I mean, yeah, you know, it doesn't have to be like this. Just find something that that really takes you away from things um, and rebalances you. And I think that that's kind of why I why I do it. And maybe it's that once a year trip where it's just kind of like I just need to get out. I need to get away from things, and I need to push myself, just knowing that I can instead of getting into this like rut which we all get in. It's very easy to yeah. get there and you become complacent and lazy. So every so often I need a wake up call and just be like, I need a slap in the face and I do it to myself and by, it's by doing this stuff. Yeah. So kind of gets me out and gets me back into the, you know, feeling that life again and getting excited about living. So 
what did you do? So you said 2011 or 2012 you got into? Yeah, into so 20, 2011 I think was my first climb. Is actually Mount Shasta in Northern California. It's beautiful, by the way. It's Shasta National, I think it's a national park or state park, but it's it's beautiful country up there. It's um, a little north of Napa, um, Napa Valley. And so it's um, just this beautiful country you know, kind of Pacific Northwest, but still California. It's really pretty. Yeah. As you get to the summit, um, it's really the only mountain around. It's you're driving around, and it's all flat, and all of a sudden this mountain comes out of nowhere, and it's a volcano, and it's still active, by the way. And so, um, if you when you reach the summit, you try to reach it before dawn, and as the sun comes up, it casts its own shadow on the valley. It's so cool. Oh, sweet! It's really, really neat. It's beautiful. It's beautiful yeah. to see because it grows. The shadow starts, then it grows, and it goes all all over the valley. The flat, this flat land. It's really kind of neat. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. What? So, what's your wake up time? Like oh two hundred or something? Yeah, at least. So it depends on the conditions, but it's going to be yeah between midnight and two a.m. is the start. And so you're climbing with headlamps for a good portion of the of the climb. That's always fun. I like that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Especially if you're in the middle of nowhere, the stars and the moon just kind of illuminate the rest of it. It's just it's beautiful. Yeah. There's nothing like it, man. It's really cool. And then if you if you're with different groups, um, you can kind of look back and just see all these like little headlamps going up the oh. going up the mountain like little ants, and it's kind of yeah. neat. It's kind of a cool experience. Is there anyone anything where they're doing? Um like night vision, night optics or anything like that? No, although that would be pretty cool. The, the thing, the problem is, is that the, you want to decrease the amount of weight to as minimal as possible. Yeah. So you get nogs or something like that. That's going to, that's going to seriously increase the amount of weight that you have to carry up the mountain. Cause you want to sure. just take as little as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. Now that I'm, it may be a dumb question because if you have the white light, on the headlamp, it's probably better visibility anyway. It is. I mean, I tend yeah. to, it, it, it also keeps your, um, your peripheral vision too. Sure. And so I can kind of see what other climbers are doing. I could see where there might be, you know, if I take, go too far to the right, that goes right into a crevasse or off a cliff or, you know, you know, it helps find a better route that way too. Yeah. But I'm also going with, with guides. I try not to do either. I never do a solo climb. And I try to always make sure that I hire a guide who's familiar with the mountain to kind of go up with us. Sure. Um, so that, that also helps. Yeah. When you say solo, like you and a guy by yourself with solo would just be me. Okay. Literally just me. Sure. Yeah. And that's super dangerous because, well, of course. Yeah. But have you, have you done it with, um, without hiring a guide? Have you done anything like that? No. Um, I just find that, um, it takes one less thing sure. off of worrying because now I don't, they're familiar with the routes that are the safest of the mountain. Yeah. Um, so now I can just focus on, you know, what I've been trained to do and stuff like that. I mean, hiring a guide does not mean that it's any less dangerous no, or any less, you know, you know, fatiguing. So I think that, yeah. um, you know, it just eliminates that one possibility of me not getting the correct route and not making it up the mountain because I took a wrong turn somewhere or, or worse. So. Yeah. No, I'm glad you pointed that out because hiring a guide, it doesn't make it any less of, what, of what it is. It's at, you're absolutely right. Um, and for those listening that aren't familiar with it, like even in technical climbing, like there are guide books where I don't necessarily know the area or the people or the routes or 
where even to sleep at night. Yeah. Where do I sleep the night before? And so these guidebooks have all that information about like, here's where you change your money. Here's where you get food. Here's all this. And so the guidebooks include a ton of stuff so that I don't have to figure everything out because we all work for a living. We we're trying to travel to a place we've never been before. We don't know anyone there. Like, it's some such an ass pain to try to figure all that out. For sure. Let me just read a little bit about how to make this a little bit easier. Right. There's no reason not to do I that. I mean, when I was in Italy and I think it was Italy, Switzerland, and France were where we were climbing. I don't, my German is Sehrschlacht and my Italian and French are pretty bad. So the last thing I need to do is try to learn another language to get around. Why not hire a local guy that can actually kind of get me places? Yeah. And can drive me around too at the same time. So, sure. um, yeah, it eliminates that too. Because yeah, that's just the language, as stressful. They know the roads. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. What was the, I love the, uh, I don't know if you remember this guy, but you, you, you invented a character named Hans. <laughs> Do you remember this? <laughs> no, wait, what? <laughs> no. We were doing the, uh, that, um, the, the land nav course, the orienteering course yeah. we did. Yeah. Uh, the, what is that called? The, the, Orient, the, the yeah, it's the an race? orienteering race. The orienteering race. Okay. Yeah. So we were doing that, and on the drive, which by the way, do, do, should we explain what that is? Yeah, by sure. The way? Go so ahead. it's like so basically they it's it's a twenty four hour race. So you start. I think we start at midnight and ends at midnight or something like that. Something like or that. Noon yeah. noon. noon or yeah. noon to noon. Noon to noon. I think noon. it was noon yeah. to noon. Yeah. And they have these like little markers. They're um. Uh, the size of a beach volleyball. They're like a triangle, like an orange triangle on yeah. the size of a beach volleyball. And they're hanging in random places. And we were in the Appalachians um, in the Blue Hills or the Blue Mountains or whatever it is. And um, so there's really no paths or anything like that. Um, it's kind of like a, it's kind of a hunt for these things. And the yeah. person who collects the most, and they all have different point systems based on where they're, where they're located. Um, and the person who collects the most wins the race. Yeah. But you're really only sent out with a compass and a map and a map. And that's it. That's it. The, you, you can't use your phone. You can't use GPS. It's cheating. Plus it doesn't even work anyway. I mean, there's no cell service. Um, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway, but that's, it's, it's so basic. It was literally just a map and I still have it. I have it framed in my house. Oh, do you really? Yeah. It's really cool. Where in the house? Um, it's in the hallway. Um, going into my office. Oh man. I'll show it to you. Yeah. Show it to me. Yeah. Cause it was, it's kind of actually some of it's kind of, uh, 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 kind of drenched from the from all that rain because basically it rained the entire time we were there too that was miserable at one point i was like oh i should change socks and then i was just like that's pointless i'm just going to get wet all over (laughs) again and this is a race that just takes away time yep um oh my gosh that was that was a tough tough race because we were bushwhacking basically to try to get some of the stuff and we weren't the best orienteers i mean let's be honest it was we got lost a couple of times um we kind of knew what we were doing but the rain swelled the river so much in the creeks that the map made very little sense in terms of like where we were at one point we were just like where are we and we were all trying to do this with headlamps and i think my i didn't have mine or something like that i don't know there's only two out of the four of us that had a headlamp remind me did we split up where it's two and two or was it always all four of us we were all four and I can't because I remember being split up with just me and Evan at one point, but I don't remember why. Like we were trying we to might have, find we, a path. Yeah, we might have split up for. I think that there was a section in the beginning where there was a whole bunch of these markers on one part of the map, and then there were some markers on the other side of the map, and then we would reconvene at. I don't know. Yeah, I think we could split up fourteen hundred hours or something like that. At yeah, yeah, back at the RV. 
park or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. Um, yeah, I have a little bit of an ego hit there because I, I feel like I always knew where I was. Um, but it was the it was the finding the be- the path of least resistance that was right. the real challenge because they had some big storm right before the event, and there was shit and all during the event. Yeah, swirl. <laughs> well, before it was before because yeah. all the trees were all torn down. Everything. Oh, all, that's true. Yeah, ev- everything. So you were stepping over like fallen trees, and and it was really difficult to navigate. Um, so they had some like unprecedented big storm out there right before the event. Yeah, and so I remember this one thing because it you go so many miles and eventually you'll come across some trail. I mean, the U S is just pretty carved up that way. So at some point you'll see a trail. And so the map showed a trail and we get there and it's just 8,000 trees yeah. all falling over. The, there is yeah. no trail anymore. No, there's no like, trail. Oh dude, we thought we had an easy path and yeah, and there's nothing. We're climbing over these giant trees to try to get, stay on the path. It and was that brutal. was, yeah, there was no path of least resistance that day. <laughs> You that know, was really tough. I had no friends. Very, it was super fun. It was though. awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. But there, w- <laughs> remember the one. I'll, I'll let you hold on. Go ahead. The, go ahead. Remember that one when it was. So Evan had pieced out. So it was you, me, and Zach. And remember when Zach just kind of like fell into like this mental like rut, and he wasn't responding to any of our questions. So like Zach, how are you feeling? And he was just like literally trudging up that hill in between <laughs> the two of us, and it, it he was just kind of like bouncing in between us just to kind of stay vertical. I mean. That guy hit the wall hard, and but he kept going, which was really impressive, actually. Yeah. And you and I were just having a conversation, walking up the hill, trying to find <laughs> the next marker. And Zach just, like, I just remember at one point, Zach just like breaks out of the wall. And he's like, "Hey guys, what's going on?" I do just remember, like, that. remember that. I was like, "Welcome back, Zach." <laughs> that was awesome. I was like, "Wow, that guy." Talking about mental fortitude, that guy. Yeah. I don't know where he what demons he was battling at that moment he got it he got out of it though there is that second wind that comes out of nowhere yeah and all of a sudden you got more gas in the tank um it's just something in your brain man we talked about it earlier like there's something in your brain that when you uh when you tell yourself i'm doing this you're just gonna have to deal with it yeah okay and then at some point the the mind the body accepts that this is the new reality this is the new baseline okay, then, then I'm going to do this. And all That's of a right. sudden, everything's okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. What is that? I will say, though, yeah. that I'm sure that there's probably someone who's like, well, if it was a race, where would you guys come in? And I will say, <laughs> we, I will say, don't we, tell weren't, don't tell we weren't last. We weren't last because there were several teams that dropped out because the conditions were so miserable yeah. that a lot of people didn't want to finish. So I yeah. I still we were <laughs> came in last of the people that were still out there, but we weren't last on the official sheet. So I, I do have to say that. I think that we, we didn't came bail. In like, we did not bail. No. Yeah. A lot of people bailed. A lot of people did. A lot of teams bailed. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. So land nav for me is something I I have a lot of experience with. Racing to 100 points in 24 hours is new. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> that was it's something. Tough. So I didn't I wasn't I didn't understand the mechanics of that, of that kind of event. And so we thought we were, Hey, we're doing a pretty good job or whatever. And then the one kid or whatever that came in first place, I mean, yeah. this kid smoked the whole thing. He was some was Spaniard like, or something like yeah. that. He came all around, from, all, from all around the world. He's all by himself. Yeah. He had no help. This kid smoked this event. And I'm like, he got all of them, all of them. Yeah. And he came in early. He came in before noon. And, and the radius like, was what? Like, Five miles? No, it was a lot. That that map was huge. It was a giant map. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the I don't know what the radius was on that on that race, but it was miles. Well, I do know from like the center point 
out to the furthest one of whatever each corner. I know that was like an hour and a half haul. Yeah. To that furthest one. And that's like that's yeah. a good amount. And then of time. when you're at an hour and a half away and now you're trying to get to something on the other side of the map. Now you Yeah. I mean, we were out there for twenty we were out there for twenty four hours. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was long distances for sure. And you're moving nonstop for twenty four hours. I mean we had that little break in the middle where we Right. <laughs> I remember us going back to the hotel ordering pizzas, crashing. And then I think we woke up like three hours later and just started pounding drinks at the local bar or something like oh, that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, your memory is so much better than mine because I, I had, I think there was like so much fatigue. I just, it's gone. It's yeah. Like a, yeah. It's like my brain roofied me. Like I have no memory of you and our rooming or something like that. Yeah. We just passed out. Yeah. God. Yeah. I was, I was I mean, good. Staying up for 24 hours is a feat and, you know, in and of itself. Sure. But then going out and doing this and, absolute downpour with these giant bugs i kid you not these things were the size of my hand and they loved there was there's no light and obviously it's raining so there's no sunlight there's no or, or moonlight there's no stars i mean it's just pitch black yeah but these bugs loved light i mean they were attracted to these things and they had these giant beady red eyes and i have never screamed like a little schoolgirl in my life when these yeah. things were attacking me yeah. i mean it's like a hummingbird <laughs> coming straight from your for your face because that's where your headlamp is that's it's on it your is. forehead and so it's coming yeah. straight for you and i remember taking my my trekking poles and trying to swat them like i'm playing in the world series like the home run derby i swear i only got a few of them but i mean Scared the living Jesus out of me. Those things. I, did, I still can't find God, out what those things I, I, were. I, I, no, I totally forgot that they even existed until you just mentioned it. Now, and I kid but, you not, these things were giant. They're yeah. bigger than cockroaches. They were meaty. I mean, oh, they had beef them, on them. You could put them in between a hot dog bun and have a meal. I mean, this <laughs> these things are huge. <laughs> That's, I'm not kidding. You know, like little little Smokies. I mean, the visual. <laughs> yeah, a little Vienna sausage. Yeah, a little Vienna sausages, fucking flying right at your forehead. It's terrible. It's the worst thing that ever happened to me. Oh Jesus! I hate bugs, and I, I I don't know why I go out in nature, but I yeah, especially ones that fly. Oh. Now I understand why you're doing Alpine stuff. Yeah, exactly. There's no, there's bugs, no bugs above the tree line. <laughs> it's just flies, which are annoying in and of themselves. But oh, I'm not scared of those geez. things at least. Yeah. I do remember turning my headlamp off at times yeah. because I just didn't want them to zero in on me. But they were, it was pitch black. I mean, it was pitch black. You well, had what, to leave what I would do is I would I would look up ahead and I'd see, okay, I see the next 50 feet. That's smart. I'd pop off my headlamp and I would just trudge through that I 50 did not feet. do that. Yeah. Yeah. I kept mine on <laughs> screaming like a little girl on the back. You're probably wondering what was going on. At least I scared off all the bears. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, right? They don't want to... <laughs> Go near that. <laughs> no. no. Good luck with all Yeah, that. yeah. I'm going to find the next victim. Yeah. Yep. Well, anyway, uh, during that whole event, which was a lot of fun, mm -hmm. um, you we were on our way back, and I remember you invented this character named Hans. <laughs> this is this is called checking out mentally. I have no idea. I must have been just drunk on Hans, lack of sleep. Hans, you'll remember this when I give you the frame of reference. Hans is a German guy. That own that he was trapped in time, and he only has a memory going up to the 1980s. <laughs> yes, do you remember this? Yes, I do remember this. Oh my gosh, yes, I so do. So all I do your references, yes. all your pop culture shit, is about like Knight Rider and <laughs> <laughs> like Alf and stuff. <laughs> I do remember this. I was that. This is very embarrassing for me. I do remember this. Yeah, it was like yeah, you're right. Knight Rider came up. 
the original Top Gun. Oh yeah, That's I do it. remember all that. Yeah, stuff. have you seen the new movie Top Gun? It's great. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's a Top Gun. Yeah, it's very good. It's a very fun movie. It's very good. And that Alf character makes me laugh all the time. Yeah, yeah. Hans, Hans was a character. He's what got me through. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was telling, I was telling you, like, dude, you got to do a podcast with j- it's just Hans. Hans. Yeah, yeah. Welcome, Paul. Thanks yeah. for sitting with me today. Yeah, thanks, Hans. So, what have you been up to lately? Oh, all the things. You know, <laughs> just you know, sitting here with you. It's fun. Yeah, you seen any cool movies lately? Uh, let's see. Uh, it was fun. Uh, the Breakfast Club. It's very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's some people in this room laughing at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a new movie that just came out. It's called The Breakfast Club. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are what are the uh what are the social issues going on in your world <laughs> lately? <laughs> well, there's this wall in my country. <laughs> a wall. <laughs> it's really annoying for Yeah. Yeah. I have some cousins on one side, I have some cousins on the other side. They don't can't see each other. It's very difficult. I have a I'm highly confident that they'll see each other soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh good. <laughs> Well, thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. That makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have a feeling it'll be a great uh, victory for your country. <laughs> Good. Lots of schnapps. Lots of schnapps. <laughs> you ever drink schnapps? Yeah. There is this, uh, uh, my first foray into, into schnapps was when I went to, I did my study abroad in Vienna and um, I went skiing in, in uh, Zellamse with some, some roommates. When was this? Uh, let's see. So it'd be my junior year abroad. So it was 2001. So the spring of 2001. So right before, actually right before 9-11, um, which, oh, Jesus, we won't get there. But um, yeah, uh, we went to this, um, they take opera ski very seriously in Europe. And so that's where everyone parties at the end of the day. There's this hut halfway down the, down the hill, down the mountain. And everyone kind of gathers there and I've never seen more drunk Europeans in my entire life in this tiny little like shack of a hut. And they were just passing around bottles of shops, like not pouring shots, literally just everyone's taking swigs out of this, out of bottles of shops being passed around peppermint schnapps. So everyone had the best (laughs) breath in the world. It was great. I had no problem sitting next to (laughs) drunk Germans with good breath. Um, Drunk Germans with good Hans's breath. favorites. Yes. Yeah, it's the peppermint schnapps. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's it's like this thing. I mean, it's just like the, it's. I mean, some cultures have like Schlebovitz, like in the East Coast or the East Coast, Eastern Europe. Um, you know, it's like plum brandy, which is disgusting. I think that stuff is hideous. But yeah, schnapps is like it's like water. It's like vodka for Russians. Like it's it's crazy. Okay. Yeah. Can you drink it straight? That's the only way to drink it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. You don't mix it or anything? I mean, like you can, way. but I mean, a lot of, you put it in hot cocoa and stuff like that. So a lot of people Ooh, will put it in that. A peppermint schnapps hot cocoa? It's really good. That I could do that right now. That sounds amazing. It's so delicious. Yeah, that sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've always heard of the peppermint, but then I hear pe- people doing like peach and Oh, yeah, there's fruit, different kinds of schnapps. Business, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that tastes good, though. I think peppermint is like the, I think that's like the kind of the original, the go-to. Yeah. Because a lot of people, so you can order it, like peppermint schnapps, hot cocos are great in the winter. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10. Yeah. For sure. So how did you, so 2001 is before you were doing mountaineering. 
I'm trying yeah. to kind of vector in on like, how did you end up deciding to do this? Like, what was the trajectory you're doing skiing obviously before yeah. that? Yeah. I had, uh, yeah, I'd walked onto the, um, Boston college ski team. Um, we were D one. Um, so it was really fun. We, um, I'm trying to think. So I, that was 90, 98 when I, when I walked onto that ski team. So I think that just, and I loved history. So I was, one of my degrees was in history. So Austro-Hungarian empire and studying that was just kind of, I wanted to be there and study it. Yeah. Um, and kind of live it. So everything that I went to go that I studied, I could actually physically go see. It was really kind of neat and just really immerse myself in it. Um, and of course, since I was on the ski team, naturally, you know, get a good snowfall straight. You take a train straight to the Alps, to Salzburg or Zellumsee or something like that. It was yeah. really cool. It was really fun. Yeah. And, but it's weird. Skiing in Europe is very different than in the U.S. because there's, it's kind of above the tree line in a way. It's very strange. And there's no, um, there's really no ropes. Like there's core, like off limits um, on a lot of uh, peaks here in the United States. But yeah. in Europe, it's like pretty free much for free for all. And like really? they'll have a sign that says, if you go this way, you could die, but go ahead and do it if you want. <laughs> and yeah, that off, it's, That's I think great. it's called off piste. And so, a lot of people did. We did. I, my my roommate was really good skier, and he took a left, and I was following him. And sure enough, we were off piste at this moment, and he goes off a he goes off a cliff, and we didn't know we didn't know this route. Like I don't know how he knew that there were how tall this cliff was, or maybe he didn't and just did it anyway. Um, <clears throat> so he goes off this cliff, and I for sure thought he was dead. I was like, oh my god, my roommate is dead. And so I slow down and I'm inching towards the end of the, the end of the cliff and kind of peered over. Um, and it was hard because, you know, you always have that snow overhang. So you never know if you went sure. too far cause it could collapse on you. So I'm trying to, trying to peek over and sure enough, I see him skiing down. And so I'm like, well, crap. So I, I jump <laughs> off this thing and it was, it was awesome cause it's only like 20 feet, but okay. it goes right into all like this snowbank so it's really cool so yeah. just it's like this giant cushion hit the power so yeah it was awesome but we ski down and we end up it's like you ended up in time uh back in time there was everyone was wearing lederhosen and there was like horse-drawn like sleds like you know like carriages but they're like they're sleds you know like and it was like Whoa. all these houses were like a-frame like you know alps style like houses and no one spoke any english and fortunately my roommate spoke better German than I did um, or else I would be Hans stuck in the 1880s. Um, <laughs> and so we finally got um, directions to the bus stop that would take us back to the, to the resort. But it was just this very odd moment where we kind of got lost and ended up in this town that I don't know, hasn't seen electricity in ever. <laughs> it was really interesting. That's amazing, man, that you can just go off of one end of the mountain the other side and all of a sudden totally it's just in a village somewhere yeah it's crazy yeah i loved it it was a really strange and wonderful experience at the same time it so. does sound cool yeah it's awesome the alps are great i remember you, you had mentioned something to me um in your bio um something happened with your leg yeah this, oh wow that was was that from skiing no so um so i woke up this is a um 
here, I'll clear my throat there. Um, so I was 17 years old. So I was a senior, going to be a senior in, in high school. And I woke up one morning and I was in excruciating pain. Um, I mean, I couldn't even move my jaw. Like all of my joints hurt. I couldn't even move my jaw. It was that painful. Like it was just, and so I started to kind of do that, mm, you know, without moving my jaw, trying to talk. Um, and I was obviously at home. Uh, my mom was vacuuming or something like that. So she couldn't hear me. And I was just laying there in pain. And um, finally she she heard me and came in and tried to move me. And that's just, I it was, it's just, I can't describe to you the kind of pain that is associated with this. Um, so she gets me in my dad's office roller chair after just, I don't know if I was in and out of consciousness or something because of the pain. It was just really awful. Gets me to the emergency room. Um, they put me on immediate antibiotics, um, had me there in the hospital. It's kind of, it's kind of blurry just because of everything that was going on. I remember at one point I got a lot better but then it, it, this, whatever I had, had metastasized into my knee and it was the size of a volleyball. Jeez. And so I couldn't even put on pants. I had to wear like these big shorts. And I remember my dad, um, this is about 10 years before my dad passed away. And, um, I remember the doctor coming in and he pulled out this giant, needle. I mean, you could see the hole. I mean, it was huge. And so he'd stick that into my knee to get fluid out to, you know, test and to drain the knee. And that was in and of itself was extremely painful because it goes right into the knee, uh, to pull it out. Um, but I remember when they were walking back out of the room, uh, the doctor closed the door, but then it didn't close it all the way. And it kind of swung back open. And I overheard the doctor tell my dad that we're going to have to amputate above the, above the knee. Oh Jesus! And so I, of course, freak out um you know and they were kind of prepping for that and my dad was like well there's got to be something that we can do and they're like we don't know what he has and this is going to go gangrene and it could spread to his body and you know he's going to die so he doesn't have much time so if you want to figure this out you've got like three days in which to do this so no doctor knew what was going on with me they had no idea what what i had contracted um they 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 do now but it's very rare. Um, so my dad had exhausted all the medical journals and this is really, this is 1997. So the internet was not really as developed as it is now. So really it was kind of old school going through medical journals, going through books. And finally he was just like, you know what? He saw a, a book on a veterinarian book. And so he's like, you know, I've exhausted the human aspect. Let's just go to the, go to the animals. And he, started looking up this thing called a parvovirus and um it matched all of my symptoms and what a parvovirus does and it's especially prevalent in cats and felines they contract this parvovirus and it freezes their their joints and their muscles into such excruciating pain that they starve to death um they really don't um that's what it is parvovirus b19 is what i had and um, quick interjection i'll just read this real fast parvovirus b19 infects only humans you can have a range of symptoms depending on your age and overall health about two out of ten people who get infected with this virus will have no symptoms uh, symptoms i'll just read real fast a mild rash illness uh, that affects children's adults can get infected with parvovirus resulting in fifth disease too i don't know what that is 
Um, less common symptoms include painful or swollen joints. There you go. So you had a very rare, less common, which is more common in adults and severe anemia, a condition in which the body doesn't have enough healthy red blood cells. In rare cases, some of these symptoms can persist for a long time. Okay, so go ahead. So you can see down here that pet dogs and cats get infected with other parvoviruses that do not infect humans. So the, basically what, what happened was is that, and this is new because at the time they didn't really know what this what was going on. Yeah. Um, and so um, we, um, obviously the parvo, this particular kind of parvovirus is what's what we can get as humans, but it's super rare. And so um, I, remember, I remember going in and they had... Um, the medication after they figured it out was kind of like the same medication that they give to cats and dogs for their parvoviruses. And so they had this medication wow. that the CDC had to like get or something like that. So I was in the infectious disease ward at um, Presbyterian hospital here in Dallas. And it was weird too, because they didn't know this is about the same time that the hantavirus in New Mexico, which is kind of like Ebola, like it's really dangerous. Like the death rate is really bad for Hanta and it's spread by rat feces and so they thought maybe that's how I got it or maybe that's what it is, but it's highly contagious. So I was kind of in that for like a day or two. I was kind of in that, that um, it's kind of like the movie where uh, you, you've got the plastic bubble around the bed kind of thing. Oh, you had that? Yeah. And people were coming in with like like hazmat suits on kind of like looking thing. It was like out of a straight out of a movie. And it's really weird to be like on that. E yeah, like E.T. It's really weird. And <clears throat> I remember that we finally um, got the medication and um which kind of solved it and i think it lies dormant <clears throat> excuse me yeah i think it lies dormant so i don't think it ever really goes away um but uh the it solved that problem but the problem is is that the knee was so screwed up at this point so they had to go in and uh perform surgery and they had to take out all the cartilage from my knee and so for uh several days when i was in the hospital they had me on this mechanical um, kind of bridge that kept my knee going 24 hours a day because otherwise my knee would fuse and what? I would just have one giant peg leg because what that's, yeah. And so I literally had to like kind of, so that the bone wouldn't fuse together and create, like I said, one giant peg leg, they had me on this thing and it was just like, I had to sleep with it. I would do like, it was just in it. I mean, it was painful. Sure. So it was just like, oh, it was awful, awful experience. Um, I remember that after, after I'd gotten through it, the um, orthopedic surgeon came through and he said, you know, look, this is what we did. Um, but I, I got to tell you, it's going to be really hard and you may not really walk again. Like it's going to be really hard for you to like, uh, like have a normal life again. And we're going to put you through PT and we're going to try to try to get you back as, as best you can. And, you know, it's, it's hard for a 17 year old kid to hear that. I mean, that's yeah. then I might not have a normal life. Um, and be able to do normal things is just really hard to hear. And I vowed that that wasn't going to be me. And I went to PT with this, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking beat this. And I never knew I had that in me because I never really proved that before in all 17 years. I never really knew that I had that kind of motivation or that mentality before. And I think that that's kind of what sparked this whole thing and why I climb mountains and stuff like that and why I joined the ski team and stuff like that is to prove more of like, you know, I can overcome all this stuff. And I remember when I walked onto the ski team, it was just like, you know, that was kind of my crowning achievement of like, I really kind of overcame this. Um, and then, yeah, that was, um, that was really the next year um, that I did that. And so, 
yeah, it's tough. That's that was that was that was a really tough time, and I lost a ridiculous amount of weight. Um, I was overweight for a long time, and I remember, I remember going back to school, and I had shaved my head, and um, just because you know I was in the hospital for so long, and you know I just shaved it off. Um, that I went back to school and I lost all this weight, and everyone thought I had cancer. Um, so all the all the <laughs> In a, in a funny way, all the popular kids that used to make fun of me were all like really nice again because <laughs> they thought I was dying from oh, cancer. Geez. So I totally played it for a while. Um, yeah, but yeah, that was tough. That was a really tough part of, of my life for sure. But, you know, it kind of goes back to, it seems to, it seems to be the theme of our, of this podcast today is, you know, overcoming things mentally. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that's a, that's, that's kind of what started it. That was the first time that I've really ever you know put my mind to to over overcoming something that you know when someone says i can't do it or it's not going to happen for you or you're going to live a really difficult life i mean sure some things are unscalable but you know this this particular moment i really felt like i needed to i had to where did that come from that feeling that you had to i don't know i don't know i never thought i had it before and it was just this thing that i that wasn't going to be me. I think, I don't know. It, it just kind of happened. I think it just kind of, it was, a it was kind of a, a light in a, a dark room that's never been turned on before. Yeah. And when that switch was flipped and that light's been on ever since. So it's incredible, man. Um, that's one of the things I admire about you and I didn't know why until you sent me the bio and I'm like looking at your background and stuff. And I'm like, oh, that makes it, it makes sense now. Like, why yeah. do I, you know, appreciate uh, Dean and Thanks, and who he is as a person? Like that, it puts it, it's kind of putting it together. Um, again, you you hang out and you go do stuff together, but you don't get depth this uninterrupted time to just like focus on true talking, right? Yeah. And, but what is it that, um, because you had mentioned. Um, some kids making fun of you and stuff. Is this high school or is this junior? Oh, grade high? school, high school. Okay. Kids are cruel. You know, bullies are everywhere. They've you're always, this, you're always this lean, fit guy. So, what are you talking about? Overweight? Like, oh what is the... god, I wasn't. Yeah, not for a long time. Really? It was that yeah, those AP class, you know, geeky kid, no athletic ability at all. Really? Um, oh yeah, I can't yeah. picture that. I know a lot of people. When I tell the story, a lot of people can't. It's kind of funny, but um, yeah, I was not. You know, go to taco bueno after school and eat, you know fattening shit and just i just like i just didn't really yeah working out or being active was not really a part of what i was doing um and it wasn't until it wasn't until a buddy of mine um that i met uh his name was matt gephardt and we were um it was my senior year in in school and we were both in ap spanish together and I would just crack jokes throughout throughout the class, and this guy was huge. He was the captain of the lacrosse team, just total badass, right? And uh, finally, I was just like, "Dude, I want to. We got to hang out, man. You're fucking hilarious." So I'm like, I'm laughing throughout this. My favorite class of the day, you know. And so we just became like best friends. And he kind of introduced me to working out at the gym and getting physically fit. And I owe it to him to like, you know, I owe it to my dad for saving my leg, and I owe it to him for pushing me to want to be physically better and more healthy. And so, you know, you, you have these people that come into your lives and, you know, strange periods and they change you for yeah. the better. 
So it's really interesting. Yeah. Like why is it that other people who could have gone through, um, it's a traumatic experience to almost lose your leg. Yeah. And other people could have gone through that and just decided, Oh man, this sucks and everything. And, um, okay, I'll go to the physical therapy, but I'm just going to kind of right. do whatever they tell me and, you know, that's fine. And I'm just going to kind of mentally shut down about the whole thing because it sucks, life sucks and everything. And that could have been your reality. Yeah, but absolutely. Th- that's the thing that I it, it I love to hone in on and no one ever has the answer for it. It's like, what is it? There was something within you that decided that's not going to be me. You made a decision even before anything had been done you made a decision that you were committed to seeing the outcome different than what you were being told. Yep. And that to me is, um, that's just a really cool thing. It really, it's really intriguing to me. And it's not, I I think about it in a military application. We're talking about mountaineering, you almost losing your leg due to some crazy rare virus. Yeah. Where the hell did that come from? It's like in any, aspect of life what is it that causes a person to say i'm not gonna let this thing eat my lunch i'm gonna i'm gonna fight it yeah i don't know i mean it's i don't know and i think that that i mean you hear these amazing stories of people overcoming you know rare cancers and you know things like that it's like they having i think your mind is more powerful than you give it credit for yeah. Um, not you in particular. I'm just saying in general. Um, yeah, not mine. Because I, I think a, that my mind is shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, hardly. Not playing. <laughs> yeah, no. I think that I think that people, you know, your mind can can do things. I know that cancer patients have like yelled at their bodies before. Like I've heard stories of like them going like, you know, yelling the cancer out. Like in a way, it's very interesting to hear some of these stories of people overcoming some what should have been their deathbed and overcoming some stuff like that. We call them miracles. I think it's just, I mean, obviously everyone should believe in what they want, but I really truly believe that, you know, having that mentality of wanting to overcome is doable in all of us. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think that's the most important thing is to try to tap into that and to do something that, that requires you to do that, you know, I just happened to have a, this just happened to me. I didn't seek it out, but it just happened. And so that was kind of the start of it. I think that, that finding something that really pushes yourself mentally and physically is something that is kind of unmatched. Absolutely. Um, I've always, I've thought about this for decades at this point, uh, looking at how old I am, but I'm thinking about um, uh, in my early 20s, just thinking about this wanting to find this combination of my mind, my body and my psyche, my spirit, whatever word you want to use for that. But like there's, um, I remember the Marine Corps, there was something for the, I think, I think it was for the martial arts program and the little symbol, you know, in the military, there's patches for everything or symbols for every kind of unit or program or whatever. So for the martial arts program, I think it had the something for mind representing mind, body and spirit. Yeah, but in a military way, you know, because obviously wow. it can't be yoga or yeah, right. you know, any, it can't do any of that, you yeah. know, stuff. That's gay. We don't like that. You know, it's yeah. got to be something guy shit. But yeah. but it's That's it funny. represented something, right? Yeah. And yeah. Um, there was a symbol for each one. And um, and I just remember thinking, I'm like, man, that is what the ultimate thing is. The ultimate person, um, 
how do I find my maximum amount of accomplishment? It's by stretching myself in all three of those areas. Yeah. Because you have super mega nerds that are science people, chemists at the top of their field, rocket scientists and all that stuff, right? And and if you look at um you ever do a role playing game where you build your character? Yeah. And you're gonna build who has what strength, this much charisma, that's this much speed. I mean, and strength. I am Hans. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. I, w- I want to see Hans's profile. Like, where his <laughs> oh, strengths I don't. are. Yeah. <laughs> but you you're building your character out, right? And it's like, what is the best, most accomplished person? It's like someone in my mind. I've always been taught. It's like someone that has the most well rounded of a bunch of stuff. And if you have one person that's way out sharp skill set in one area, but they don't have the others, then that's great. They're going to be awesome at this one thing. And that's we need those people, right? We need the rocket scientists. Absolutely. Where that's all they think about is building rockets and working on the chem, uh, the chemistry and the, the math and all that stuff, the orbits of the planets. And we need those people. Um, and then, but then like a person, I think of like yourself where it's like, you're in finance, you're doing just very cerebral stuff for work, but then you go through this experience as a teenager where you almost lose your leg and th- you're facing this kind of adversity where something challenges you physically, whether you liked it or not. You didn't ask for it, but you're going through this physical thing where you have to go through this therapy, your cartilage is all cut out of your leg, which I want to ask you about that in a second. But now it's forcing you to cope emotionally with the outcome of that um, yeah. that forms in my mind because you're being tested in a lot of areas. It forms in my mind, someone that's more resilient, more willing to climb to the summit of that mountain where the other people didn't want to. And you're willing to go that extra couple hundred feet yep. through uh pretty shitty conditions to be able to get to the top because I already know what it's like to almost lose it all anyway. Yeah. So, and I, maybe I'm speaking for you here. I don't know, but, uh, when I think about all of that, um, it just makes me think of like, um, who are we as people and what is it that, who, how resilient are we and what are we willing to cope with and who are we as people at the end of the day? That's right. You know, I, I, you bring up a lot of valid points and I think that, um, you know, we are very fragile physically. I mean, we need to have perfect conditions in order to live. Let's be honest, right? This earth is incredible because the ground is hard yeah right exactly <laughs> like we're trust me. it's made of rocks bitch i mean i mean we complain about mattresses i mean yeah. you know so it's true but i think that you know we're also as we're also only as good as as the people that we surround ourselves with and try to work with as well um absolutely you know and i think that's that's one of the most important things is to realize that we need to we're all in this together so um I forget what the African proverb is, something about, um, you know, something about being a, uh, one person and then um, maybe you can look it up, but it basically comes down to, you know, being able to work together, you can accomplish a lot more. Mm. So, um, yeah, you could probably look it up, go alone or go together. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's oh, what it is. John already knew this. That's yeah. great. Yeah, it's a famous... If you want to go quickly, go alone. Yeah. If you want to go far, go together. Go together. Yeah. Wow. So, and thanks for looking that up. My mind just totally blanked on it. But yeah, that's one of that's my great. favorite favorite things to say. 
And I think that that's, that's super oh. important, especially when it comes to like family and things like that. We always, we always find a way to, you know, lash out at the person that's closest to us because that's where they are. That's who, you know, they're within close proximity and we're all at fault for that. I do. Yeah. You it's know, a soft target. Exactly. And you know that they'll listen and they'll take it because they love you or, you know, or at least it's someone to argue with, you know? And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, sure you might have those and all of us do. I think it's the most important part is to how you recover from that because those are the people where you will go the farthest with. Yeah. Um, and re- remembering, remembering that and how important those people are is, is so critical because, you know, we talked about being, having strength of mind. It's not that way all the time no, and it's not. it can break and you can be weak and having someone there that can help you friends, family, love, you know, loved ones, you know, wife, husband, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever is going to be there to help pick up the pieces. That's super, super important so that you can get back on that track. I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, it's so critical to have good people around you. Um, because I think about like, okay, you can be a really competent dude in whatever you're doing, but if you don't have anyone like helping you out, backing you up, supporting you, encouraging you, uh, I think it's still, you're still set up for failure. Yep. You've got to have good people in your corner. Um, and not even your corner, because that's almost self-centered, but it's like you got to have just a, I'm thinking of a boxing ring, right, in your corner, right, because you're going up to the fight. But I think it's more so like we're all in the ring together, and we're going up this uh, up against this insurmountable challenge like a mountain or facing foreclosure on the house or mm-hmm. facing um, trouble at work or whatever the challenge is, right? It's like people struggle. People go through some things that they've never faced before, and it's so much easier to go through it together. That's right. Well, for all the, for all the, uh, ladies listening, one of my, one of my other favorite quotes is I think FDR's wife who said behind every great man is a better woman, a better woman. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You know, it's kind of true. I mean, you know, uh, (laughs) they can help out in a lot of times. So that's absolutely true. Um, yeah. And I actually, I wrote this down, uh, a number of years ago. Um, similar vein of thinking, but, um, a good woman will, will remind you of your future. A bad woman will remind you of your past. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No kidding. They kind of do both. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remember when I make mistakes, I'm quickly reminded of them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, but you're, but no, I'm, I'm all jokes aside. You're exactly right. In general. Yeah. 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 Just saying, um, yeah, I just remember, um, and I won't, I won't mention my, when I was married, but I will mention a relationship I had after my divorce. It was my first real relationship. You did some dating and stuff like that. Right. But mm-hmm. it's like the first real relationship I had. And I remember this girl just hammering me about like stuff I had done in my past. And it's like, who, what is this? What, what am I at a roast? Like, what right. are we, are we here to pick on each? I don't understand what this is. Like, this is not what I'm looking for. And, um, and so, you know, I shut that down, but it was, um, it just made me curious, like, who is she as a person? I don't understand what this is. Like, I'm, uh, I'm trying to lean on you for support. We're supposed to be paired together as a couple. We're supposed to be working together through life and all of a sudden, you know, this. And so, um, it took me too long to realize that though, because 
you know, I just got divorced, so I'm feeling just guilty about everything. Sure. And so I, it took me longer to remember who I was. Right. And just remember, like, like you said a few minutes ago, who you have with you, I think it greatly impacts your ability to su- to succeed. You know, I think that you've described what the essence of what judgment is. Mm. I mean, you know, you go into any any courtroom, they're judging you on your past, what you just did. Yeah. You know, your past actions. Yeah. To determine your future. And I think that that's, that's a, it is kind of an unhealthy way. I mean, yes, you want to learn from your mistakes and you want to learn from all that stuff. But, you know, judging someone else is tough to do because sometimes we don't really understand where someone is coming from or where they've been. I mean, this is rare that you get a chance to really talk. And I want to flip the script on, on you one of these days and interview you. But, uh, but I think that, um, you know, that's, that's the most important part. It's, it's really truly understanding someone. Then it's being able to, you know, bring up things and helping them, um, become a better person judging someone right away you have no idea who that person is you have no idea what they've gone through you don't know what's in their mind at that time or where their mind was at that time um and so to to pass judgment is it's it's easy to do and we do it all the time i do it heck you know we all do yeah sure so i'm not you know it's it's one of those things that i'm constantly having to work with you know and work on um you know patience is another thing you know all those things but yeah, that's it's tough. I th- I think one of the other things, and I don't mean to keep coming back to like the mountain climbing or anything, but um, sure, but I do. <laughs> sure. Um, but like thinking about like intense situations, Adam, my last uh, guest was we were talking. He was with me. You know, Adam from the the yeah. camp and shoot, but yeah. he was with me in Ukraine. So thinking about like being in a stressful combat environment, or you're on the side of a mountain and it's just you and a couple dudes trying to figure it out and make sure you don't die. Like these situations are pressure cookers for who a person really is. And it makes you understand, okay, I can actually count on this person when it really comes down to it. Yep. And that pressure cooker, man, is is so vital because I think we're both older. We're in our 40s. And so it's like when you're in high school, the stakes are low. And so you have this long length of time to figure out who's going to be your friend and who's not. And uh, that's kind of a friend I hang out with, but I can't really count on them. Or this one person picks on me. Uh, so I think they're being mean. Well, actually, they're actually trying to be tease me and we're really friends. And it's just trying to figure it out. So it takes a long time to figure out who's actually really close and who's not. Right. And that's always changing. Right. That takes time. Um, and then now at our age, I feel that it's different. And it's like when I meet a person and I'm going to become friends with them, I need to figure out really fast. I don't have time. Same thing with dating, too, because I'm single. And so I'm like, if I'm going to date somebody or become a friend with somebody, I need to figure out really fast if this is a real one or not. Yeah, I agree. You, Yeah, the older you get, the more, the more valuable those relationships are because we just don't yeah. – it's not that we don't have the – time for it i think that's kind of a cop-out excuse i think it's more that we just we feel i don't know like without sounding dramatic like the finality of life i mean the older you get the closer you are to that and i think that that's that's that part of life that you want to share with people those you know that that other half of that coin you know and you want to share it with the right people um you always had time to 
you know, in the earlier years to fix that. Like, okay, well, that didn't work out. I'll move on and I'll find someone else. But now it's like, yeah, you, you don't have that kind of time that, you know, the runway is getting shorter. Um, yeah. so, you know, you, you definitely want to find those, those right relationships. I completely agree with you on that. And I think that, you know, the majority of people, I probably think like that too. I mean, it's just, you can't, you can't go through and cycle in people in your life anymore. Yeah. So. Out, out of, you did, uh, you mentioned that you were, um, you did Catholic stuff. It's mm-hmm. a weird way to introduce it, but <laughs> it's a really, it's a really weird so segue. Sorry, everyone, this <laughs> I did Catholic stuff. Oh Jesus! Jesus. I'm, that's I'm great. so sorry. That's, that's the, the, the that's embarrassing. The worst segue. Yeah, uh, no, I've ever done. <laughs> John's I don't even know what Catholic stuff at. is. <laughs> Jesus, this is an embarrassing moment. Oh my gosh! I'm sorry. It's I'm okay. so sorry to you and everyone. It's okay. Um, but just. Uh, I had a segue. It, was, it sounded good in my head, <laughs> because because of all the just the relationship building, what what is important to you mm-hmm. and what is not. Um, you you were raised as Catholic. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't seem to be what you're practicing now, just by no. my observation. So, like, what in your realization, in your relationships, in your experiences in life, has formed your philosophy, like who you are, what you're up to, why you do what you do? Yeah. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. So I mean, I think that religion was a big part of of growing up, um, and we were raised Catholic. My mom actually converted from I think Presbyterian to Catholic um, after she married my dad, and so it was a, it was our thing. I mean, that was you know um, we associated you know how we believe in our philosophy and and associated that with 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 a God. Um, and, you know, faith is important for everyone, I think, in their own way. Um, the, I think the, the wiser I got and then also experiencing, you know, a lot of, you know, after my dad passed away and things like that, it just kind of made me realize that, you know, what, what is important and what are the things that are, that are the best. Um, you know, in Christianity, there's these things called the Beatitudes where it's, you know, love one another, like, you know, and those kind of things. And it really, it all derives from, um, this movement called stoicism in the Roman empire. Um, so a big proponent of that was, um, uh, Aurelius Augustus, um, Emperor Augustus was a general and he wrote the meditations, uh, which is kind of like his, um, his philosophy when he was a general on the battlefield um, during that time. And then he promoted this, this movement called stoicism uh, when he was the emperor. And when the Christians were, this is after, I believe this is after the crucifixion of Jesus. And so the Christians were still kind of hiding in caves and, but they were brilliant people. Um, And so the Stoics would have these, um, tents in the bazaar and they would, you know, it wasn't preaching. It was basically like going around and, and sharing how the, um, their philosophy of being one with nature, uh, being there for each other, like, how can I help you kind of thing? There was no God associated with stoicism. Um, but the, the, the Christians would rent out the tent next to it or, or, or listen to what was going on. And then they eventually associated God to it. 
and and so that's really the the foundation of Christianity is based really on Stoicism. What happened in the Roman Empire, and so because if you if you study Stoicism, it's really all the foundation of Christianity is all those lessons of of Stoicism, um, and then they just slapped God on it, and because of the time why stoicism became so popular was because they were like gods for everything i mean you stub your toe there's a god for it i don't know in in you know roman history and so eventually it just became tiresome and so i think that it, they went from one extreme to the other and christians kind of filled this gap of like okay there is a god you know you've been brought up with all these gods but now there's one god but then applied the stoicism that was super super popular at the time and so that's how Christianity built was was built. Um, and I think that, you know, that's for me, I don't know if I necessarily need to have faith in, in God. It's really the philosophy of of, you know, being aware of of nature, of people around me, how to help people, how to be unselfish, um, you know, being strong in times of distress, um, you know, looking inwardly on yourself. These are all components of, of stoicism really. And it's not that I practice that. It's not really, it's just a mentality. It's just how I want to live my life. And I've become a lot happier because I don't feel like I'm sinning all the time. Mm. So, you know, being brought up Catholic, it was like, I was constantly fucking up and I was constantly sinning. I felt really bad about myself. I had this mentality of like, I am a terrible man. I'm a terrible person. Yeah. And because this God, I might not get into heaven or this God hates me now or something. I'm constantly sinning and I have to go into church and sit with a priest and be like, forgive me father for I have sinned. It's been, you know, two days since I, my last confession, right. you know, it's like, why do I put that pressure on myself when I don't need to, when all of the, all the rules are written there, but I don't have to fear a God. No, I don't have to fear like sinning. Um, you do this because you, you know, thou shall not kill. Well, yeah, I don't want to kill because I also don't want to spend the rest of my life in prison either. So it's like, and plus it just kind of goes against your innateness of not wanting to kill. Right. Sure. Um, I mean, I don't want know, to be killed. Right. So obviously, I don't want to kill you because right. it sucks to get killed. Right. Or just yeah. commit adultery or anything. It just kind of goes without saying, right? The Ten Commandments. It's kind of like, all right, it's already written. I mean, so um, I think that that's kind of where, you know, how I've kind of changed and lived my life. And I've never been happier um, because now I feel, you know, freer, but I still have that, that, that kind of code um yeah that code of ethics that's right that's exactly a good way to put it yeah that's really cool um i i grew up through high school being like super christian really into it and i remember i like the way you talk about the sinning like the feeling of the guilt and everything because it's it's pretty emotionally exhausting it is very much so it's it's pretty it's taxing on you because you're constantly under this anxiety of, oh, I did good, I did bad, I did good, I did bad. And it's like, dude, can I just exist? Right. And get on to my life to doing other things? Because right. I don't want to be trapped in this back and forth ping pong thing where I'm constantly, because then I don't feel like I'm ever really growing. That's I feel right. like I'm just constantly trapped in this cyclical pattern of feeling like shit and then feeling good. And and I don't like that roller coaster. And I feel... uh I don't, I haven't studied a lot of stoicism, but when I hear about it and hear like you're describing it, it just sounds like 
just be nice and balanced and emotionally healthy and you know, physically healthy, mentally healthy. It just sounds like a nice, even keel thing. Yeah. And that to me is how life is. Yeah. Nothing's ever really fully extreme. No. And if it is, usually something's out of balance. Right. I mean, yeah, I just, you know, it's not to say that, you know, it's, I've written off God or something like that or denounced him, but you know, it's just, I think that, um, you know, there's, there's just so much that I've learned about religion, which is, I think the greatest con of man, if, mm. if I'm going to go out there and say it, cause I might as well. Um, I think that the, that religion has been the cause of so many wars and so much distress and death, uh, more than it has anything else yeah. in, in history of man. Um, sure. There's warfare over land and things like that, but a lot of, a lot of atrocities have been committed in the name of God. Yeah. Yeah. I had a dude talk to me today. Um, he, we're just talking about each other's lives and stuff. And I, the whole reason I have this podcast is partially because I like to just talk to people like, who are you? What are you up to? What's your deal? And just get in the conversations. I think people are interesting. Mm -hmm. And so I'm talking to this guy and he's telling me how he recently, um, got super into his faith and all that. And, cool. Okay. Like what got you into that? And, um, and I know where this is heading. I have a background. I was a church person and missionary and I used to preach and I, I have, I know the, the code words, you know, yeah. that I know where we're going in this conversation, but okay, this is what he's interested in. So I'm giving him a chance to talk about his thing. Um, but in the conversation, it's this thing of like, well, when you die, you're going to go to, you know, a good place or a bad place and it's up to you. And, and it, and it's this whole thing. I'm like, I'm interested in you. Why is this important to you? And instead it becomes this thing where he's pushing this thing on me that mm. if I don't do his thing, then now I, I, I have this crossroads yep. thing. And that's, so even if we take out of the context of history where, oh yeah, a thousand years ago, a bunch of people killed each other. I don't give a fuck anyway. Like yeah. who cares? I don't know them. They didn't know me. None of that impacts me. Right. But if it comes down to like where you and me are talking and you start just telling me that I got to do your stuff. And if I don't, after I die, it's going to be real bad for me. I'm like, what are we doing, man? I mean, let's just hang out and have a good time. Why does it have to be? It's divisive. Yeah. It's just this weird vibe, man. And it, and if I think about it, because I do know the Bible from my, from my background, my history, that's not even the Bible anyway. It's no, not, it's not. It's not putting this shit on people that you better choose my thing or it's going to be a bad deal. And that's what that conversation is. Right. It's this weird pressure that people feel like they got to put on you. And if they don't put it on you, then they feel like they haven't done their job of like being their, you know, emissary of the whole cause or something. And it's like, just tell me about your stuff, man. Why is it important to you? Mm -hmm. And if in that window that I give you to tell me about your stuff, you threaten me, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I don't yeah. want to, I'm not interested in that. That's right. That's not a good way to be. That's right. It doesn't interest me at all. Yeah. I think that, you know, the, the real, there's a there's a line that runs through pretty much every religion if you study it and that line is the same message through all, all of it and it's very simple words love one another yeah three simple words and that's the message that every religion tries to um tries to explain and they explain it through parable or anything of that nature but it really boils down to those three words and if if we start to think about those words every day we're going to start treating each other a lot better yeah and we're going to start listening to people a lot more and i think that's what it really comes down to 
people just want to be heard at the mm. end of the day. And I think that listening, especially in this day and age of all the busy stuff that's going on, we've lost that art of just simply listening. Like this is an awesome experience because it's literally just the two friends sitting in a room listening to each other. Yeah. Sounds really creepy for everyone listening, but it's true. I mean, you know, I think that that's, it's something that's really, it's a lost art. It's something that, that I think that we should try to do more often. And I like, I, I, you know, I don't listen enough. I probably should. And so, but I think that that's, that is something that we need to really do. And it's going to solve a lot of problems. And even if you don't agree to that, just having someone talk really kind of helps them and, you know, it dispels anger, um, you know, misunderstandings, things of that nature. Yeah. I think it helps you process too, like your place. Like, who are you? What do you feel about yourself? It helps you recognize where you're at. Mm -hmm. And I think we're not honest with ourselves. We're not honest with each other. So if there's someone in the group, first of all, you got to get the group, right? You got to have the people that are going to be in it with you through thick and thin. And you got to have the group. And if the group is comprised of people that aren't going to be honest with you, then it's doing you a disservice and it's doing them a disservice. Right. So, Hey man, like you're slacking, you're not, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is, right. It's Mm -hmm. just like someone's got to be able to come to you and tell you what's up. Right. And, or encourage you. Right. And, and tell you, you're doing great. Keep it up, man. This is great. Whatever the thing is. And, um, because it keeps you honest. Cause if you start thinking, man, I'm the shit, I'm doing a great job. And then, no one tells you that you're not the shit because you've been screwed, whatever. Yeah. Like, that's a dangerous road to go down. Absolutely, and that's it is. where sociopaths, you know, develop and all that stuff because no one's checking them. That's right. And uh, yeah. you know, I think the social media has also really affected the way that we perceive each other and ourselves. Um, and I think that you know, deep down, it's kind of like goes back to what we were saying. Like, you go to see someone at a bar and say, "How you doing? Oh, I'm doing well." That's that's basically the conversation on, on like say Instagram, you're only right. showing like I'm doing well. Right. Right. When in actuality, it's not necessarily true. And <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just, and, and no one wants to like, it's the same thing that you were saying. Like, I don't want to like, this dude doesn't want to hear me at this bar talk about how shitty my week has been. It's the same way on like social media. Like no one wants to be reading, you know, negativity about how you know, crappy your week was or what you just went through. Right. Um, and so it's all rainbows and unicorns. And I think that that puts a lot of undue pressure on ourselves to constantly get more, be more stuff like that without being truly happy with, with who we are, um, and in ourselves and finding that kind of inner peace. And I think that's, you know, again, it starts with like, sure, loving one another, but loving yourself too. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's super important. You can't help anyone else until you help yourself. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? True. Yeah. Can you help yourself if you don't have anyone around you to help you even see right. what the next level could be? Yeah. Um, that's a tough, it's tough, man. How do you, how do you help yourself when you're 17 and they're going to tell you that you're going to lose your leg and you decide no? Right. Like what, where did that come from? Right. How can you help yourself? How did you even know to do that? It's like where it's so I, that's the un, 
intangible element that I'm, I really want to figure out. I want to try to hone in on that. And I know it's for millennia. People have been trying to do this, but it's like, I want to get a little closer to that. If mm-hmm. I can discover that, how do you do that, man? It's like, uh, it's that, that famous nature versus nurture kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah. you know, that people have tried to figure out for a long time. I think that, um, I think it's an individual thing. I think that, you know, I don't, I, you know, it doesn't really necessarily matter where you come from, um, or what you have or your station in life. I think that everyone has the ability to succeed. Um, and I, I truly, truly believe that. And some people just need more help than others. Um, and it's kind of, I feel like, it's up to it's up to some people to try to do that and love love one another a little bit more. Um, so, it's that's a that's really difficult, and that's a conversation maybe for an entirely different podcast. But because um, that could be a rabbit hole for sure, and it's hard to explain. I mean, and everyone's trying to figure that out too. Like, you know, especially when it comes to you know politics or socioeconomic conditions for people. I mean, it's, it's difficult. I mean, we've always tried to do that. We've always tried to solve problems and a lot of them are unsolvable. Um, but being able to work with one another and I think just keeping it, you know, instead of getting bogged down with everything that's happening and, and, um, becoming overwhelmed, just looking to your left and to your right and focusing on that is probably the best thing that you can do in your life. Yeah. That's cool, man. I, I've always loved the uh, the outlook you have on life. It's uh, always been fun. Thanks, man. Likewise. The, one of the things I and I I know I've harped on not harped on it, but I've I've reminded you of this often. And for those listening for the first time, but I always see you as a um, like a gatherer. And <laughs> you you do a good job of like bringing the people together from the different uh, backgrounds and the different life experiences and. I see that as like one of your ministries of love to just the people around you is um, there are people that will keep their circles in individualized. Well, these are my friends that I see at my softball team, or these are my friends that I see at work and, and that's it. And I'll never introduce them. It's like, I've always seen you as like you, you bring them all together and it enriches everybody that is coming together. Thanks. And you create this yeah. more enriched environment uh, because there's a blending of all these different people it makes it more fun and interesting. Yeah, I think sure. so. I just, you know, for me, it's always been fascinating to learn about people and cultures and things of that nature. And, um, you know, we all have a story to tell. And so we're all different in our own, in our own ways. None of us, none of us are the same. And so I love being able to, you know, of course I know when to not blend certain people together, but I, you know, I think that for the most part, I like to surround myself with really interesting, intelligent people that, that have a lot to contribute. And I know that there's some, something that, you know, people will find in common or find something to talk about. And, um, I guess I just do it naturally. It's I really don't do that with any purpose. It just kind it's of happens. natural, yeah, yeah, for sure. I know. I know I, yeah. It's a, you're not putting in effort. It's just like a natural. I'm having a good time. I want everyone else to have a good time. You know, <laughs> right. let's all have a good time together. It's great. Yeah. yeah, that would be. You know, one of the you talk about people not to introduce together. Like, what if you threw a party of, and invited only all your ex girlfriends? Yeah, that would be miserable. <laughs> that would be a terrible, terrible, terrible experience. <laughs> Mainly because I don't necessarily want to see any of them. No, um, no, I, 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> that would be a terrible social experiment. I would, yeah, I want I want hidden cameras all oh, God. in the thing. <laughs> oh, man. All they do is probably just talk shit on me the entire time anyway. And they probably all become best friends, honestly. Yeah, one common one common commonality amongst all of them. Yeah. How shitty Dean is. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. But yeah, it's... Um, you know, I think that I think again, I think that, you know, we're just one big melting pot anyway in this world and the world has become flat, you know. I mean, it's we're we're all connected more and more as every every day passes. Um you know, the the parabolic curve of technology is taking us to places where we can interact with people in remote the some of the most remote places of the world. And, you know, we've all we've all come together as as one people and i think that that's even more important and we have more of a responsibility now than ever in order to interact with one another and to be open and loving to one another because i think that's it's vitally important there's no real way to escape anymore um you can't go to that remote place in the world physically and escape because we're all we're all really connected now yeah um and i think that that's that's an important kind of aspect to keep in mind yeah, one of uh, one of our brothers over in Ukraine was talking. We have a group chat, and uh, and he sent us a message today just to say what's up and sent us a couple pictures, and this is him. And I'm like, this dude is on the front lines in Ukraine. It's crazy. In the shit. And we're like, hey, man, keep it up. You're doing great. You know, we love you, man. And it's just like he's getting this, like, encouragement from people on the other side of the planet yeah, he knows us. It's not strangers, but like he's getting this encouragement from dudes on the other side of the planet. And I thought about it from his point of view, like how crazy that must be. Yeah, because I I know what it's like pre cell phones, pre internet to sure. be deployed, and it fucking sucks, man. Like think about the people in the f- World War Two. Yeah, I mean, you know, they wait months for a letter from home, right? If that letter even found them on the front lines right yeah what if the mail truck blew up or right. something like that like, right there is a guaranteed thing i mean they have starlink out there i mean they're got we, there were times in ukraine when we had no food and water but we had internet that's crazy <laughs> that's amazing to <laughs> yeah. me i mean again i mean it, it plays at the point yeah, yeah. we're we're so connected with one another yeah. i couldn't imagine what it was like back in back then when you know families at home about you know not having that connection and yeah. not knowing if they're alive or dead for months Oh, think of World War One, like trench warfare. Oh gosh, yeah. And yeah. these guys are in these trenches for months. They have mm-hmm. no idea what is on the out, out a mile away from this trench, and they live in this trench. Uh, yeah, a hundred feet. Yeah, they just knew the, the yeah the Let's enemy see. was literally a hundred feet, you know, in front of them. Yeah, that's crazy. A football field. That's yeah. nuts. Yeah, for that to be your reality, I mean, I can't even fathom never traveling. I can't fathom never getting on an airplane, never going to another place. That yeah. to me sounds like uh, a prison sentence. No kidding. And but to sit in a trench for you know however many months and never be able to like leave out of that thing, that yeah. that seems to me to be like yeah. The next time you think that horrible. you know the COVID rules of having to stay at home and <laughs> was was <laughs> right. bad, remember those guys? Oh they gosh. had it much worse. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, no, no kidding. Could have trench feet for months on end. Yeah. Instead, you've got a nice place to at least live in yeah mm. yeah that'd be tough man john pull up uh uh the chat gpt thing i've been looking for a good excuse to uh to use this thing 
Have you been on this? Uh, this is really fascinating. I actually yeah. was talking with some um, financial professionals last night at a dinner about AI and well, ChatGPT and how it will transform everything that we're doing. I do want to hear about that. Let's stay, let, let's pull up something about um, how far did dudes in World War I go away from their trench or something like that. You can say dudes. <laughs> he was going to type something else. Uh-oh. Regenerate. Something went wrong. Chat GPT. Uh, refresh the... Yeah, there you go. Or how Dude. long did they stay in the trench? Are you... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Keep. Are you hitting it? I have heard that. that? Is, it, is it one of those times where it's like... There's only so much bandwidth oh, with these things. Yeah, surge maybe. Well, it looks like it's hitting enter before he finished. There it goes. Now it's asking, how can I assist you today? How oh. far did the men go in World War One oh, oh, uh, Away from their trenches, though. That's what I'm... Uh, here, stop generating that. I want to know how far did they leave their trenches. Yeah, that's cr that's it's nuts. I mean... See, look at the context. I love this. It knows we're already talking about it. World War One. Men did leave the trenches during World War One to engage in various offensive actions such as raids, patrol, blah blah blah. How far though? <laughs> Just say that. Oh, there we go. Varied widely depending on a few, a few yards. Soldiers would only venture a few yards outside of their trenches to engage in short range skirmishes with enemy troops. Yeah, they're not being specific. That's crazy though. A few yards though, that's how long would they stay in the trench? Does it say that? Let's ask it that. I love this thing. It's amazing. Um, Do you hear his typing? Yeah. He has, you have like a little cadence when he types. <laughs> he, like, he does have a little cadence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Spent long periods of time in the trenches, often for days or even weeks at a time without relief. The length of time uh, that soldiers spent months at a time in the trenches without a break. Does it say oh, that? man, yeah. Where does it... Not uncommon for soldiers to spend months at a time in the trenches Jesus. without a break. That's nuts. That's But that's honestly what's going on in Ukraine right now, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I've, I'm talking to dudes that are saying um, it's like a Stalingrad situation, especially over by Bakhmut, where, I mean, they're just not getting cycled out and guys are getting fried and stuff. Wow. Brain fried. Uh, yeah, I bet. So they are cycling guys out, but, I mean, there's trench units that are just like, that's what they live. They live in the trench, man. Right. You, you see, and you guys can go on, anyone listening, you can go on YouTube and see like they're, God, they're crazy. building little houses down in there. Like really their beds and they have a little shelf for books and I mean, yeah. Like like the live. trenches in world war, yeah. world war one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There was that, have you seen the new movie that just came out? I think it won, uh, won an Oscar all quiet on the Western front. Yeah. It's very good. That was good, man. Yeah. I like, that was, that was really, Netflix, really, right? Yeah, I believe it was. Something that was like good. that. It was very, very good film. Yeah. Um, that was better was than I thought it would brutal. be. Brutal, yeah. That was, was good. That was brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a a a war period that is you really enjoy to get into? Is there like a? Because you, didn't you say you did Hungarian stuff? I mean, or? yeah. I I think that I think that World War Two. I've always been kind of a World War Two buff, uh, mainly because I, I had family that fought in World War Two. So, um, you know, my grandmother was certainly one of those people that I admired tremendously she was a frontline frontline nurse in world war ii and oh sweet she served she served in um 
in the Africa in Africa and in Europe, both theaters. Um, she was a she was a firecracker. She was, I mean, five one on a good day, probably. I mean, but she had she had the personality of someone twice her size, and she would volunteer for um to go in and and help. So like. Anzio was probably the one of the bloodiest battles in World War II, and it was strictly volunteer, and um, because of how awful it was, and really, we had to go through Anzio. And it was kind of a beachhead, so Anzio was down on the beach, and uh, right above the beach was this uh, cliff where the Nazis were basically embedded, and just sh- it was like shooting fish in a barrel, and you know they just lobbed down, you know. Uh, bombs and grenades and all sorts of stuff, just blowing the shit out of everyone. And um, yeah, my grandmother survived that and went through it. Her stories are absolutely incredible. Um, she would go in, I think it was the, um, it was the signal corps that would go in, they'd lay wire. So they'd wear like plain clothes and go lay wire for um, in towns that were going to be raided by, army rangers like the next day or something like that but they had to have a nurse that would go with them in case they were you know injured or something like that and so my grandmother would volunteer to go in with them and um i believe she was one of the first allied nurses in rome in the liberation of rome because she went there with the signal court to lay down these wires where the rangers would connect uh that wire to um their backpack their communications and which would you know, the signal would be sent down to HQ or something like that. And so, yeah, she was one of the first people to go in and do that. It was amazing. So is it an occupied town? Mm-hmm. Nazis were there at the time. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. And so she would have to go in and just kind of like act like nothing was happening. And they dropped the wire through their pant leg. And so, you know, and they just, and they'd snip it and get it and leave. But I mean, if they were killed or captured, you know, it happened all the time. And so, you know, if, uh, but if they were injured or something like that, that's why they had to have a nurse go with them. And so she would volunteer for this stuff. It was crazy. She has stories of like going in and uh, eventually when Rome uh, was liberated, the Nazis like literally left food on their plates, like literally just got up and left town. Um, and there were dining halls with, you know, this cutlery and all sorts of stuff. She stole all that stuff. <laughs> right at home. I've got it. I've got it at home. Do you really? Yeah. Yeah. Is she, she still alive? Home. No, she died. She was 104. God. Something like that. I think, I think that's the right number. Um, what a beast, man. She was awesome. Yeah. Dude. She had, uh, I think she had full honors when she, when she passed away. Um, it was interesting cause I mean, it was, it was beautiful. Um, so the, it was in Indiana. So the national guard was out there and I think, um, Fulbert Colonel was there and he was the one who handed me the flag after, after she passed away, which is a really poignant moment. Cause my dad and my uncle had both passed. Um, so I was really the only male left in the family. Wow. And the only one. I'm the only male left on both sides of the family, actually. And so, yeah, I was the one to receive the flag because I was the oldest and next in line. So, um, but she was cool. My, my grandparents met, this is a really, it's actually a really cool story. Um, so my, my grandmother was in, uh, or my grandfather was a paratrooper. And so when he dropped into the African theater, he hurt his back and wasn't really able to, to serve as a paratrooper anymore. But he wanted to still be in the war and serve as best he could. So he got posted to the post office. 
and um and when he was in i forget where they were if it was in like morocco like marrakesh or something like that my grandmother came in riding on this tank and all these guys are hooting and hollering and my grandfather just looks at his buddy and is like i'm gonna marry that girl and what? the buddy was like yeah you and every other guy here because my grandmother was good looking she's a good looking woman yeah. and um so my grandfather made sure that in the post office was to her um, larger battalion or regiment. And so it would follow her throughout Europe. And he would, they dated throughout that entire time. So he literally would follow her. And they got married outside of a, um, they wandered in, it was in France. It was um, after, after D-Day. And they wanted to get married. And so they went to, um, they went to the small French town and the church was burned out, but they were, they went in looking for the priest and the pastor and, um, they kind of left discouraged, but then found, they found him later on and, and they, they got married outside this little town and I've got the pictures for it. Cause she, she took pictures of everything, by the way, Oh, nice! it was, in, it was incredible. Um, and them on this, you know, hillside overlooking this bombed out village in in france and that's kind of where they that was the end of that was the end of it but then think about this then they couldn't really communicate that with their family so they had to take ships that would take you know a month to get across the atlantic so he had to go back um i don't know where he was living at the time um she was in ohio i think he was in indiana and so he had to once once he got home this is months in between and so he had finally had to come and ask for my grandfather's my great grandfather's permission you know to to marry her but you know they didn't want to say that they were already kind of married but um wow yeah so i mean months in between so that you know he went home and on one ship and she went home on another ship and yeah which is crazy but it was it was a it's a really neat love story um i eventually want to write a book on it because i think it's i think it's a beautiful beautiful story it is and um you know there's some pictures in there um you know one of them is when she liberated a concentration camp in Germany. And at the time they didn't know what it was. And she's a frontline nurse. She's some of the first soldiers to see any of this stuff. And they thought it was, you know, a disease camp. Like, you know, these people were wearing these striped pajamas and they thought it was to mark them for a disease so they couldn't approach them. And, you know, she has pictures of these of these um, concentration camp, uh, you know, uh, prisoners standing on top of dead bodies trying to get over the over the gates oh to try to talk God. to them I mean, just it was just it's graphic and um you know but we had no idea and again communication was you know moved like molasses back then because we just didn't have what we have now yeah. so when we ran up against this stuff we didn't really know what they were at first it wasn't really until later that we understood what the nazis were doing they kept it very well hidden um and so you know of course they were rumbling through those pictures it's amazing yeah they're really really cool what was your grandma's name uh marion malik marion malik Mm -hmm. dude she was a badass man she was a total badass i mean to go into an occupied town yeah dude and prep prep for an invasion like that's some sneaky sneaky shit yeah she was she was awesome man man. she was badass she was really cool i admired her it took me years of trying to get these stories out of her i mean it was just really it was really tough for her um understandably of course i mean she lost some of her best friends you know and just in anzio alone 
Um, and you know, that's, but eventually she did. I recorded it all on a, oh, on dude. those little cassette tapes, which I need to probably digitize, oh, but dude, I gotta, yeah, I, I would love story. to hear it. I have like yeah. four of these tapes. They're so cool, dude. That's she the was kind awesome. of stuff I, I love to listen to. Oh, yeah. it's really cool. I'll show you the, um, next time you come over, we'll, we, we should do that. I'll bring out the photos and stuff yeah, like that. It's dude. really cool. Um, or we could do it I'll help you on the podcast that, or something man. like that. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool. Dude, and we could share it with everyone. Eat that up, man. If if you'd be willing to share the absolutely, it's really really neat. Yeah, um, and we kind of go through like what was happening too at the time in World War II, and you know where you know the the kind of movements. So kind of what I was studying was, you know, how like Rommel and in the African theater, and then how they came up through Italy, and you know they were converging on Germany basically from the south and you know, the Russians were coming in from the East. And I mean, it was just this massive convergence and how they were strategizing all this was just fascinating to me, but also following my grandmother through these towns at the same time is kind of was, is always been kind of fun for me to yeah. kind of like not only educate myself historically on, on strategy and, and world war two, but also, um, you know, how to follow my grandmother around, um, at the same time, which was kind of neat. And then, and then my, on the Pacific fleet, my, my great uncle was Admiral Raymond Spruance, who was uh, led the Pacific Fleet during the Battle of Midway, which is turned the tide. That's when we defeated the Japanese carriers. Wow, which is pretty cool, dude. That's so cool to have yeah. a family story for the European and the the Pacific, yeah, like efforts. It's really neat. Wow. But my 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 grandmother's brother, you know, he he died when he was over there um, in the Pacific and stuff like that. So it's, I mean, there's just there's it's it's a very there's a lot of positives and a lot of negatives. I mean, it's just it's just a really amazing period of time. Um, yeah, that was it was it was really incredible. Someday I'll I'll kind of put it all together and yeah. and kind of tell the story. That we've kind of That'd be awesome, man. Yeah, because those are the sort. Of, oh, this is him, Raymond. Uh, yeah, that's Raymond Spruance. Yep, former United States ambassador to the Philippines. Yeah, is he is um, extremely famous naval officer. Um, yeah. his book is still read at the Naval Academy. Yeah. John, it's part of the curriculum. You know the name of that? John, can you see if uh, we can find his book? Just Raymond Spruance's book, Quiet Warrior. Yep. That's a biography it. of a Admiral Raymond Spruance. It's a really good book. You know, do you recognize that, that photo? I've got it hanging in my house. Uh, yeah. Ray, I've seen this before. Yeah. This, where in your house is that? I've got a couple of them, but they're hanging on by, uh, by my kitchen. I have seen it. Yeah. I know I've seen this picture and I, I thought it just was something I had seen before. So I, I didn't recognize it was in your house, but yeah, yeah, the quiet warrior. Well, this seems to be highly rated, man. This is yeah, cool. It's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, um, his strategy, his strategy in, in, uh, in the Pacific is fascinating. I mean, it's, it's still taught in, at the Naval Academy. It's pretty cool. You know, it'd be badass is if there was any kind of like biography uh, or movie or anything about him, and if you could play him. Yeah, right. The, well, there is. There's one that just came out called Midway. Um, oh, he's he, in it. Yeah, oh, okay. his he Raymond Spruance is in it. Yeah, sure. okay. Yeah. But it's very short, actually. It's it's interesting because he deserved a lot more because he really was the one who turned the tide. He took. Yeah. They'd show him taking over the fleet because um, Halsey got sick. And so um, Admiral Halsey was the one who was leading the Pacific fleet at the time. And when he got sick, Admiral Spruance was the one that was kind of came up and he was thrown into this. And the reason why he's called the quiet warrior is because he didn't talk. 
I mean, he was kind of this dude who was just really smart and just didn't talk. And when he did say something, it was meaningful. Like everyone, yeah. everyone listened to him. And so, yeah, the, the title of the book is very apropos to, to who he was as a, as a, as a leader. I really do like coming across people like that. Um, cause there's constantly, uh, kind of ironic cause we're sitting here talking a lot, but, uh, right. but that's the context of what we're in. But there was a guy in our unit in Ukraine that was like this silent, never talked dude. Part of it was cause he didn't really speak English. So yeah. <laughs> there's part yeah. of that limitation yeah. there. Uh, he knew a little bit, but this guy, man, you get him out in the fight and he's just murking people up. And, wow. But he never talked. That's interesting. He just yeah. sat, observed. We'd have our little pre-op meeting or whatever. He'd sit and just watch the map, kind of observe, just observe watching everybody, hmm. and then get out there and just smash it up. Just like, yeah. <laughs> well, the my, silent warrior, man, the quiet da- warrior. My dad always said, told me, he's like, always respect the most quiet person in the room mm. because they're the ones that are listening the most and probably have the most knowledge. Um it's and again it goes back to listening i think that the more you observe and the more you listen the greater knowledge you have in that particular moment mm-hmm. because everyone loves to talk but they're ignoring everything else that's going on around them so yeah yeah it's it's tough cuz what if you're in a place where you have to be you're teaching right and so then well i have to open my mouth to explain this concept or teach this thing but right all things being equal then you're yeah. right yeah yeah so i mean yeah, it's interesting. I think that, um, you know, that's, I think that we do less observing. And so I, I've always kind of admired that person. There's a, there's a guy in, in finance, um, this guy, Andy Redleaf, he was, um, you know, kind of started this fund, which was nothing. Now it's a multi-billion dollar fund. It's huge. Um, but the dude was, he's, he's a little, he was strange, but he was unbelievably brilliant. And I just remember that he would, st- he would stare at your shoes the entire time that he was talking to you. Mm. And, but everything that he said that, that came out of his mouth was just absolute brilliance. Yeah. And, you know, that's, it's kind of those, we got to be open to, you know, some of that stuff. Uh, and, and those people, I think that they've got a lot to, a lot to go. So yeah, it's been interesting. I've run into a lot of characters in my life. That's for sure. What what's his name? Andy Red Redleaf. Redleaf, yeah. Andy Redleaf, he's the is founder this, of White is, Box. And White Box is a, a pretty. It's at the it's top. It's a huge there, hedge fund. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge hedge fund in um, in Minnesota. Oh, this guy's that can't be him. Yeah, that's him. Well, it said White Box, but that only said seventeen people mm-hmm. on the thing. Is that him there? Yeah, that's him. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. So, what does White Box really, do? Uh, they are, they're a hedge fund. So they, they trade in all sorts of different markets around the world. Um, and so they have all sorts of different strategies for, for trading. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's just been absolutely brilliant at what he, what he did. Um, there's a lot of brilliant people out there. You you said you worked with him? No, we invested in his fund, but that was a long okay. time ago. Um, yeah, he's, yeah. he's really brilliant. Um, and so we met with him. I think that, um, you know, some of the, I, I've always found that some of the strangest people are sometimes the most brilliant people. Um, like what you were saying about physicists and, you know, uh, rocket scientists, let them do that because those people that are, are absolutely brilliant because that's right. all they do. And if you want to talk to them about that, 
they are just that's what they do it's stellar it's amazing yeah um there was this guy um I mean, I, I think that that's fascinating, especially like theoretical physics. And I think I, I mentioned this. Oh, to dude, you too. I love it's, talking to someone like that. Yeah. I just, man, I watch, I like, love watching the gears turn. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, what are they thinking? It's and crazy. God, they're, it's great. Dark matter, I, string I, theory, I love it. parallel universes. It's crazy stuff. Yeah. You know, and the more we're studying is, you know, it's, um, it's becoming more true. I mean, all these theories that Albert Einstein had and some of the great theorists of, you know, the, uh, 20th century. I mean, all that stuff was conjecture and now we're proving it. It's really incredible. Is there any of that that's now come back to the everyday people where like some knowledge that we've discovered with these theoretical physics has now been proven and now it's something that's applicable today within our lifetime? Is there something that you're aware of? I mean, I think that a lot of it is, um, you know, certainly the, um, the computational power that we've that we've developed um there is a high high speed computer um i forget what name of it is um i'm totally blanking on that but basically um it's kind of suspended it's very interesting but this thing can spit out computations faster than anything on on the planet um and i think that a lot of what we studied in science has been applicable and applied to how we create computations and why technology is growing at the rate that it's growing. Um, certainly I think that, you know, space travel and how we're going to, we will eventually have to find another home for us. And, you know, I think that space travel is one of the most important things that we can try to develop, but how do you do that? I mean, you know, it's, it's not like the movies where you just, you know, go to warp speed. The only way to really oh, travel man. between, I know <laughs> the only real way to travel uh, between two points in space is to actually fold space. And so right now it's, we don't have the, the power in which to do that um, because it takes an extreme amount of energy in order to fold space. Um, not, not, not time, but space itself. And eventually, you know, the way that we're going to, um, yeah, these supercomputers are amazing. Um, so is that the one you were talking about? Yeah, there, there's several of them around the world. Um, I think, um, IBM has one, stuff like that. This looks but like a weird way to say, fuck you. It's amazing. Fuck you. Cool. Fuga cool. Fuga cool. Fuga cool. That's funny. Anyway, um, you know, I just read so it wrong. Fuck, <laughs> fuck you, supercomputer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think that, so I think that, it, you know, that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of stuff that I think is, is very attainable. I mean, I don't know within my lifetime, but I think that eventually we're going to be able to travel between two, two, you know, two spots in, in space and which could be billions of light years away, you know? Um, but traveling between those distances is impossible. But if you could fold space and match those two places at the same time, you just, it's basically like folding a piece of paper and putting a pencil through it, right? That hole, that hole in space, the, those two points in space exist at the same time at the same place. And then once you unfold the paper, that's when they start to separate again. So it's basically folding two spots in space to be the same space. Mm -hmm. And so for a brief moment, you're sharing two different spots in space at the same time 
You with me on this? I'm with you. <laughs> okay. I'm, am I making a blank face? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, I mean, it's, I've it, heard but it. it's, but yeah. it's doable. It's, it's actually, it's, I think that we, we can achieve that if we're able to like, <laughs> with get enough, get no, okay. Here, here's the thing though, because I've heard the thought, uh, yeah, you fold space and now you, you don't have warp travel necessarily. It's almost a, uh, you're occupying, you're occupying two different it's a quantum spots. Thing. Yeah. But the thing is, aren't you fucking up space to do that? No. Like, aren't you aren't you messing up the space time fabric to be able to pop the pencil through, put a hole in the thing? No, because I mean, it's it's just a brief. I mean, it's fractions upon fractions of a fraction of a second. I mean, you know that it, that that it's happening, and who knows? I mean, maybe doing this billions of times, right? But I don't think that that's really going to. Um, I don't really think that that's going to affect space. But then again, go to this, John. This one with the Earth in the in the gravity well, or it looks like a gravity well. Open that one up and zoom in on that. So this is kind of interesting to me because maybe this is kind of what you're describing. Because to go around the Earth, there it's all the way wide, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but down in that little sunken thing, everything's a lot closer together, right? Uh, so this is kind of what you're describing, like a maybe a visual of it. Um, a little bit. I think that this has to do with. Um, gravity and so what it, what is it that we're doing though we're we're using gravity and that's what the power the major power requirements are to well to, you're asking someone who's not really a physicist but okay. um i'm not even an armchair physicist but i think that yeah. um you know the fascinating part of of you know i grew up like loving star trek and anything was star in the name of it i loved it um and so for me, you know, particularly space travel is fascinating yeah. because I think that there's just, I mean, the vastness of space is just scary and beautiful all at the same time. And it's constantly growing. Just, it's amazing to me. I think that that's probably the focus that, that, um, is also most vitally important for us is to be able to, to travel more so than space. just the repair of our existing surroundings well of course but i mean eventually at this point i mean we keep going down this path we're gonna have to find a new new planet to destroy <laughs> yeah for me that's the struggle is like i i love the space you you took the words out of my mouth anything with the word star in it is, right. i'm all about watching it and yeah that's not always so cool and popular but it's like privately i'm like star Trek, yeah I'm a, star, I'm a huge yeah. geek totally Stargate, totally come on totally admit it <laughs> yeah um so I'm all about if we can get into some kind of spaceship that'll take us, you know, we keep finding these planets where we're pretty sure it might be in the Goldilocks thing. And right. The Goldilocks zone, for those that don't know, is like a planet that's within the same amount of parameters that our planet is in from the sun. And so maybe it has uh, an oxygen atmosphere and uh, all the right conditions for life. So even if there aren't um, primates running around with nuclear weapons on it, at least it's got the conditions for us to go travel there and live yeah there. Um, <laughs> and so if we can find the little pencil push thing and, and warp our way teleport our way over there then now we have a new home so right. do we invest all of our efforts into that or uh, into just repairing what we've got and just understand like this is it man we're never gonna make it 600 light years let alone well, six thousand. yeah it's it's um you know it goes back to the can't help others if you can't help yourself so yeah. it's like if we can't learn to live with one another how can we live with one another somewhere else i mean we've got a we've got a long way to go you know philosophically 
as a species before we can really start to start to do that. But I think that there's going to be a, you know, there is going to be a, I'm very hopeful for a brighter future where we can all come together and realize that, you know, there is something greater than ourselves and to experience that, you know, so that's the ultimate mountain. I am too, man. I'm, I'm hopeful for the future of humanity. Um, it's, it's going to take a lot of work and, in the vein of Star Trek, like the the aliens don't come and visit us until we've achieved a certain level right. of technology. Right. But in order to achieve that level of technology, uh, the belief system is that we have to have already accomplished a certain amount of things as a species, as a in, uh, planetary community. Correct. Like resolving all of our internal warfare um and uh, sharing of resources and finding a stable um, environment that we can all live. Yep. Uh, you know, you're not. We're not going to develop this kind of technology to go meet the, you know, the people out there or whatever until we right have that. And I guess that's the belief system, right? In, exactly. In the Star Trek world. Exactly. So. Yeah. 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 I wanted to look at uh, John Pullup uh, Dean's IMDb list. Oh. <laughs> I, I want to hear about the devil's gravestone where you were a pimp. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was oh my gosh. I don't even I don't even know. Oh man, five point four stars, that's terrible. Uh it's probably because of my acting. It was one of my first movies that I was ever in. It's terrible. Well the other one, more recent, you it was oh an God, eight eight point oh, which seems seems great. Deadly Charter. Yeah, that was uh, that was fun. Uh Hank Slaughter was the uh director. He was a stuntman in, in Hollywood before he returned to direction. I'm and, more interested uh, in you being a pimp though. How did, can we God, find any clip remember. of this? That was so long ago. Is there anything I might even there? in that. I don't even know if I'm in that trailer. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was uh, hoping I we could go. I was looking to see if we could find something. Oh God. I don't even want to. It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> But anyway, w- w- tell yeah. me about you being a pimp, though. How did I don't. This- I remember this one scene that I had to do, and it was. I think it was a vampire movie, right? And okay. so, um, I'm in an alleyway in Deep Ellum, filming the scene where I'm like with my girls or something like that, and I get attacked by a vampire, and so I had this scene of like me yelling bloody murder in the in the alley in Deep Ellum, surprised that cops weren't called on right. us it was just yeah just and then getting tuesday and well it was funny because the, they had to film the shot of me getting dragged off camera so there was like this <laughs> there's like this like i don't know it was like the boom mic operator who like put down the mic just to like grab my feet and pull me off camera really quickly and it was like on concrete and i was like it started to hurt after the fifth take and i was yeah. like okay i'm done yeah and um it was a short short scene i don't know um certainly not a main character role that's for sure yeah did you did you have the like yeah man i'm the pimp like, <laughs> no i don't know <laughs> of course i had swagger man yeah okay, of course okay. yeah you didn't do the i own i owned the streets okay yeah <laughs> what would you just like yeah i'm the pimp like, yeah i guess i don't uh, remember okay. i don't remember god that was yeah would, 2010 I that was, was a hoping, long time ago. I was hoping you had the fur coat with the hat and the whole i had i had something yeah what's I had up some, <laughs> It's some get up <laughs> gold tooth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, the cane, the whole nine yards. I don't remember yeah. what I was wearing for that. What's the tough guy thing? Did uh do we have the deadly charter thing up, John? 
Is this that was cool? I think you can rent that on Amazon actually. Oh really? Yeah. What's the tough guy thing? I don't think we could find um, a picture of. I was uh, at a, a bar. I was at a bar filming. It was actually, yeah. It was at a hotel uh, up north. Okay. And then um, it was at this bar scene. Actually, this scene. Uh, but I don't think. We just I think don't. this is just the teaser. Yeah. So he's a hitman, and I go in, and I like. I don't know. I'm just some douchebag, and I make fun of him or something like that, and I get my ass kicked. It was great. Yeah, oh, yeah? yeah. But it was cool because the you know the director was a stunt coordinator, was a stuntman. So I mean, the stunts are really. It was really well done. It was really cool. Okay, I'll have to watch this. Yeah. Um, and then we found one more. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, demo you- scene. Oh, great. You really did pull out these. <laughs> this is embarrassing. Okay. Wow. I was not expecting to walk into this. Wow. This is the one we could find with you, like you featured in it. Yeah. Well, well, that's my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say it out loud. I, you know, you know, you know how hard it was to walk into my own home and act like I've never been there before. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's called acting. That's, that's called, called acting. yeah. That's called acting. That's nice make believe yeah. there. Yeah. That's oh great. man. Yeah. That was fun. What that is this? Eddie, Hen- Eddie Henderson. Oh, okay. I think I just knocked that. Um, Oh, they knocked the camera? Yeah, I might have. Um, anyway, right, we'll send we're good. Phone. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, Andy Henderson was um, directed this bit. Could I think I'm security, so she's like some famous. Look on your face. <laughs> she's some famous um, singer or actress or something like that, and I were private security. And, and what, are you guys about to get it on? Because she's got the... Uh, Ah, something like that. She's I don't got know. the look on her face. Yeah, and you're trying to like, play it cool. It's kind of like what's that movie? Body, is it Bodyguard or something like that? Which, oh yeah, yeah. Kevin Costner. Kevin is that what this is? <laughs> no, it's not. But it kind of like looks like it. Yeah. They even did the Whitney Houston. Where it's yeah, like, right, right. Yeah, it's like whoa. Wait a minute. Now I see what we're doing. Actually, I never really put that together until now. Now that I've watched that, that's yeah. wow. That's funny. Yeah, I. Uh, I enjoyed acting from time to time. It's been it's been pretty fun. Yeah. Um so I did the I told you I did the commercial. We can stop that. But um Yeah, we can I, please stop that. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I did the uh the commercial, the roofing company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, just yeah. randomly threw a, a thing on backstage. I love it. And some lady contacted me uh from a recruiting thing and like, Hey, do you want to do this commercial where you're a fireman? And I was like, Sure. Yeah. And so the thing that surprised me, it was hours of singing this one little jingle. Yeah. It's me and two other dudes and a Dalmatian. And they what they do, they put peanut butter in the dog's mouth. So oh, it, yeah, looks like it's sing- it looks like it's singing. <laughs> so the, yeah, well, that dog was living his best day. Yeah. He was like, yeah. He's getting fed, yeah, force-fed peanut butter. But we're singing this jingle. It's only like a 10-second thing. And we spent hours singing this dumb song. And sorry, no, it's not dumb to whoever's listening. But <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. But it's, it, it's for their commercial. But for us, we're like at the end, and we have to maintain the same smile and the same energy. Right, singing it's, this thing. It's exhausting. It's how exhausting. long? How long did it take for you to get that song out of your head before you went to bed every night? Oh, I dumped it the next day. <laughs> oh, good gone. for you. I dumped it. Yeah. Oh, well, that's hard to do. I shut it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. smart. It was, it was out. That would drive anyone mad. Uh, yeah. yeah, it is. It's exhausting. You I mean you're literally? I mean, we that's what a three minute scene. We did it all. Took all day. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Our do thing, different angles. 
Yeah, it's it's exhausting work. No one really understands like you, you know you do a scene over and over and over again because the director wants different camera angles, so you have to set up the you have to set up the camera differently. But that means just setting up all the lights differently and all oh, the yeah. sound. And I mean, it's just it's a lot. Yeah, and then if you have extras, you have to reposition them. It's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, and if a guy had a, a thing in his hand and then you did the take and he didn't have it in his hand, and yes. you're like, oh, we fucked up. We got to... Yeah. yeah, continuity. Yeah. Yep, continuity yeah. is a huge thing. Um, I pick up on that a lot in movies and shows. Yeah. It's, it, it bothers me so much. Like, you had one thing to do, man. The guy just had job. to hold the drink. Right. Just Here's the thing I don't understand is the actor should have remembered I was holding a thing and now I'm not. Like True, what? but... I mean, these, yeah, yeah. Um, there's some actors that are smarter than others. Um, I, the, you know, the one thing that really gets me is in action movies when there's like this assassin or some badass and they're holding a gun so oh, wrong, god. like so wrong. Oh, god, there's this new show <laughs> on Netflix, uh, called The Night Agent. And in like the first episode, there's like these two badass, assa- like, like agents. And the woman was literally holding her gun like this. Oh, and God. I'm like, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, okay. So I, I immediately lose interest in shows like that. Like if you can't, yeah. If you can't teach your actor how to like properly hold a weapon, like, yeah. you know, I, look, a lot of that's hard to do. I mean, Keanu Reeves is definitely, uh, you know, outside of those bell curves, right? Like he's just an actor who's immersed themselves into like learning how to handle, how to handle a weapon. But most actors just have no clue what they're doing. And, um, you know, you force them into the situation. Like, as a casting director, I would want to see that. But then again, the casting director probably doesn't know how to shoot again either. And plus, you know, a lot of the stuff is being filmed in studios in California. So, I mean, we don't need to go there. But <laughs> Yeah, well, shout out to my friend Ken. Uh, he was in Ukraine with me, but he does – he has a business out in um, – it's called Rock Seal out, yeah. in, out in Korea, and he does a mil- a bunch of things. But like he does military consultation, law enforcement. He he has that whole angle of the business, but he also has the military advisory stuff for any filming that goes on in Korea. Awesome. He goes on set and like sets the record straight. Like no, no, you got to hold it this way. That's when you turn awesome. the corner. You got to do so. He does that. It's not a primary f- source of what he does, but it's like he's been in some. There's some stuff on Netflix we could find that he was in. And then movies that are on Netflix where he was advising, but um, it bothers me so much, man. Yeah, when I see people doing it wrong, and even the John Wick stuff, it's definitely like I'm trying to find the equivalent, but it's like it's juicy action flicks for guys. Yeah, it's it is way right? over the top. Way over the top. One dude it can't it's super exaggerated. One dude can't handle a hundred bad guys. It's just right. he's gonna get smoked. There's no way he can maintain that. No, level it's of, totally totally Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the other thing is like where he does the brass check with the one hand, right? And it's like, just use your, your other hand is just sitting there. Just right. Like, use right. Your other right. Hand. You, just use your other hand. You have another hand. Yeah. Like you're not, you're, I, you know, the yeah. one show that I've, um, that I've heard is the best and most accurate is seal team. Uh, it was on CBS. I, I haven't watched it. It's fantastic. Really? And in actuality, it, that really is, um, I've heard from like former operatives and stuff like that. That's like the most legit okay. of any show. Seal Team on where? It was on CBS, and then I think that it was on Paramount Plus. Um, Seal Team show. Mm-hmm. That's a. It's so good. Oh, so it's still on. That's six six years. Mm-hmm. I think they renewed it for another season. Um, 
Okay, so David Boreans, Max Theory. Yeah. You guys all have hard names, man. I know, right? Neil Brown, thank you. They're AJ really Martin. good. They're really, really good. I think okay. the acting's fantastic, but the way that they handle weapon systems and the way that they work is probably the most appropriate to yeah. you know, how they do it. Yeah. That's cool. I'll and, give the it uniform, and the uniforms are actually appropriate, too. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. I'll check it out. Um, I don't like the long, drawn-out stuff of seasons of shows unless it's very, something I'm very specifically interested in because mm-hmm. it drags out where they fill in a lot of chattery chatty stuff and drama they do like but i mean real one of them this this last season and it doesn't really go it doesn't really detract or or give a spoiler away um has to do with uh mental health of soldiers oh that's good and um it's 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 been very well received within the community a uh, military community and i think that um it's the first show to really devote almost an entire season uh if not two seasons i think um to that particular um, situation. It's a buildup to one of the characters why why it happened. And I think it's really really neat. It's really it's cool. Really good. Yeah, I think you'd re- I think you'd really enjoy it actually. Okay, I'll check yeah. it out, man. Seal Team. Uh, yeah, Seal Team. Show. I think it was on CBS. And I think now you can stream. It looks it on like it's streaming Plus. on a few things. Yeah, mm-hmm. I saw that. Mm-hmm. Go go back, John. Hit the back button. Uh, it showed. Um, oh, YouTube. You can do a subscription, I guess. Yeah. Times. So I don't Paramount know Plus is where I, cool. where I watch it. Okay. Yeah. I got to I got to do the Paramount Plus because now the new Star Trek stuff is on there. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Have you have you been watching Picard season 3? Oh my gosh, yes. Oh, you know what? You know what they're doing? <laughs> the last two episodes are going to be at the IMAX theater in North Park. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, what? I put myself on the wait list, but the okay. whole the whole website crashed when I tried to get on there. Oh man. I think every every Trekkie in Dallas tried to get on there, but Is this the last time. season? They're not doing another one? Mm, this is it. Oh, dude. I know. Okay, cuz it's season 3, episode 9 just came out yesterday. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, I won't say anything then. Yeah, don't say anything. Dude, it's hard not to feel the cynical part of all what they've done with movies and TV shows in the last few years because of COVID. Right. Like Disney's done a massive cash grab off the Star Wars stuff and it's like kind of hurt the whole franchise, I think. So, but season three is a blast from the past. Nostalgia. Totally. Awesome, awesome time. Yeah. I mean, wait till you watch this last episode. Oh. Episode nine. I mean, I tear up like of all the great. wonderful memories. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, this one's going to be... Yeah, wait till you watch it. We used to call used, me after you watch it. Okay, I will. Yeah. I will. Yeah, we used to watch the Next Generation as a family and sit around on like Friday nights, and I would record it on VHS. Yeah, and um, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, good memories. Yeah, this is great because what they've done is they're reminding you of all this awesome stuff that you remember from TNG, mm-hmm. like the Next Generation, but they're also introducing this like mega enemy thing oh cool it's, it's so i don't want to sorry i'll yeah. i'm done talking about don't it. do not do yeah i'll it's good yeah, yeah. Um, but i gotta have, I think you, it's really cool. have you watched strange new worlds yes is that I, good yes it's very good i haven't watched it they're all good discovery is good strange new worlds they're doing a fantastic job with that uh and just kind of i i like it i really do i'm having a hard time with discovery that's, i love it i was one. too i actually stopped it and i came back to it and um give it some time Okay. Yeah, because I'm expecting a certain thing. I'm expecting a Voyager, DS9 mm-hmm. vibe, and uh, even Enterprise, you know. But then I'm getting this thing in Discovery where it's like, what are we doing? I don't understand what we're doing here. It just, keep with it. It doesn't feel Star Trek. It feels like some other deal. Keep, keep with it. Okay. Keep with it. Yeah. See, I what like are there, it. four seasons? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah. They're coming out with another one too. It's a new, good. A new show? No, another season. Oh, okay. I think they're coming out with another. I don't know. Star Trek's really go to this. Do the Star Trek Discovery. Are we? Uh, how are we looking? I know you had other thing. Oh shoot. <laughs> Uh, what are we at? Season next season will be the will be the last, the fifth and final season arriving in early 2024. So they've got four already. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love I love the Michael Burnham thing. I love how it's kind of a, a Starfleet officer in disgrace is now rising to the challenge and getting into the uh, into the captain's chair. Yeah. That's cool because yeah. usually it's a captain that's already proven and right, they're right, great right. and they're, everything's awesome. But this one, you know, she's basically like in jail and all of a sudden now right. she's coming out and, you know, they need her all of a sudden. But the thing in, was it season one or two where her mom is like a time-traveling quantum person and all, yeah. like, what are we doing here? I don't understand this. It pulls out all the stops, but I yeah. mean, somehow they tie it all in. I like yeah. it. I mean, they they really do. It seems desperate in its in its angles, but it does it. They do a really good job. It's like a slow burn, and it really does come together. Stick with it. Yeah, I will. Um, I'll, I'll get. I think I left off somewhere in three, or very beginning, or something, and I was cool. like, oh, all right, yeah. yeah. So I'll get back into it. Get um, back into it. Yeah, because I do. There is something within me that's like I want to have watched all of Trek for some yeah. reason. Yeah, know, good or bad. I didn't do lower decks though. No, I don't. No, 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 no. It just feels that no goofy and yeah, just <laughs> just class. hard pass. Yeah, sorry if you watch that it's like show. A kid show or something, isn't it? Or yeah, it's or, I don't know. It's like know. the Rick and Morty of Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the Rick and Morty of Star Trek. It's weird. Yeah, and of course it comes on like as soon as you finish an episode, and I'm like taking my dishes back to the kitchen, and it comes on. I'm like, oh, what is that? Like, why are my ears bleeding? Yeah. I don't. I think it's stupid, but whatever. Yeah, and then Prodigy, I think, was straight up kid show. Yeah, it was. I didn't. I gave it a couple episodes just to see what was up, and I was like, Yeah, it's just. Yeah, I don't really watch it. This is not canon. Yeah, no, (laughs) not counting this. No, it's not. It's definitely not. But yeah, but I don't know. You doing any acting uh, acting stuff now? You got any auditions? No, I mean, I had some auditions and stuff like that, some casting calls, but um, it's you know, I do it whenever I whenever I can. Yeah. So. Cast in a new film, but it's um, um, as one of the main characters. Um, there's four brothers, and I play one of them. But it's a long script; it's like 97 page script. Um, but we're I think the filming has been delayed. We're supposed to film in March, but I think it's been delayed for a while. But how does that work? So when did you do the audition for that? So with um, so it's another film by Hank Slaughter who did um, Deadly Charter. And um, so this new one is Possum Kingdom. Oh, it's that's on your IMDb mm-hmm. credits. Okay. Yeah. So it's it was in pre production, and I play you know I play Barry. Okay. Um. So you haven't filmed yet. No, we have not filmed yet. We haven't started. Uh, we haven't started filming. It's but, amazing. They already got it up there on the credits and everything. That's cool. Yeah. So um. Yeah. The the someone else has to put it in IMDb. I can't. I can't put up my own resume. Someone sure. has to do it for me. So yeah, those are all. What is the, so when did you audition for that? Like when did you go out to. He actually, um, I mean, I'll do a tape of some of it for him just because the investors want to see it. But um, because of my role in Deadly Charter, he asked me to to come back for this for this film. Okay. And this, when did he ask you that? Uh, about a year ago. Okay. I think something like that. 
So, so, you, so you, these projects are pretty long stretched out, like in terms of like when they actually. Yeah, small hit, films, hit small the, small budget films usually are because um, there's just so many moving parts, and when you don't have like when you don't have a studio throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at it, yeah, it's tough. You got to get all these like moving parts, and it's like herding cats to try to get it off the ground. But once sure. it's done, it's pretty cool. It's yeah. really fun. Being on set is a fun. It's a fun experience. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's got to be fun. That's, well, I, I mean, I have the one thing to, to speak from, but it was a good time. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. It's fun. It's cool. They're like, hey, the uh, hey guys, the uh, the guy, the camera guy is going to do his thing, so you can just hang out in the green room, and uh, we'll come get you when we're yeah. ready. And yeah. So you're hanging out in the green room and just... Yeah, it's cool. You're about to go on camera with these people, but you're just vibing out and right. having a good time. And, yeah, it's yeah, a good time. It is a good time. So I like it. It kind of gets me out of my out of the comfort zone again, so... Do something fun. Yeah, dude. That's that's one of the things I've always appreciated about you is that you um, you dabble in a lot of different things. A lot of different things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're busy. Life dude. is too short. Yep, yep. that's right. <laughs> I know, I'm busy for sure. So yeah, well, we've got these um, we've got these couple parties coming up here. Yeah, that's um, gonna be really fun. I'm looking forward to that. Yep. I, big big thanks to you and John for absolutely helping to yeah uh, you know carry this weight for those that uh, don't know or. Um, uh, John, another friend of ours, and, and Dean here is going to be uh, putting together a little party for our nonprofit Ukraine Independence Fund, mm-hmm. and um, and so it's just really helping to just put some momentum together for the nonprofit. And uh, so thanks a lot for that. I know Absolutely. you do some nonprofit work, man. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we did the uh, I don't know what did John call it the uh, ad- adopt a kid day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We did the the, the um, thing for the dogs. Yeah, the dogs and cats. Yeah, that was yeah. fun. I've been involved with that for a long time. Pause in the city, and then pause in the city. That's it. Yeah, and then I'm on the board for the Children's Cancer Fund, which is pretty neat. We have our um, big gala coming up on the 21st, April 21st. So cool. that's pretty neat. Um, yeah. Give a lot of money to cancer research and helping kids out and stuff like that. So that's awesome, man. Yep, it's really neat. Yeah. So these uh, these parties we got the end of this month, and then May 20th we've got the the big shindig for everybody to come and dance and drink and eat and it's gonna be fun just uh donate to the guys that are uh doing their work out in ukraine so that's right it's good stuff man. it'll be good brother thanks for coming out man thanks dude this, this is, is fun this is a really good time this is really you're good. right time goes by real fast dude i looked down i was like oh my Damn. god <laughs> i was like oh i'll just come over for like an hour we'll shoot the shit and i was <laughs> like okay wow we covered everything by the way yeah yeah well, yeah. I mean, we just talked, dude. I mean, it, see, it, it yeah. Goes by fast. Checking I, the news, and we solved the Israeli-Palestine. We solved conflict. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unbeknownst to, to us. I'll yeah. Have to work on that on like tightening up the the window of conversation points. But no, it was fun. It was we covered time, it all. Brother. Yeah, man. All it was right. Good. We'll do it again. Love you, man. Thanks, dude. See you. Appreciate you. Bye, everyone.